Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me is Clay Williams, the fixer of podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense. I guess, I think... Uh, if any like Josh podcast Bones. hosts are acting up, if they have any scandals, I guess right. they call you. That'd be interesting. They call <laughs> Mark Barron, but people don't like, want to talk about that. <laughs> they actually, he's the fixer, funny enough. You wouldn't expect it. You can see um, Marin in a Coen Brothers, couldn't you? It is crazy he yeah. has it actually. Well, I guess he yeah. never will be. That. Yeah, that's well, we don't, you know, I don't know. No, it, don't for know. now, I think it's it. You think so? It, yeah. I don't know. It's like why why go back? I, I know. Like, yeah. They, they've they've done what they've done, you know. Now what's, they would what's be the one? on their one, two, three, four, they'd be in their sixth decade of filmmaking, fifth. Right. I, I guess like maybe they just want to do what the other doesn't. Yeah, because I, I know like when uh, Macbeth was like announced or coming out, like Ethan was like, "I want to do theater." I was like, "Okay, well, I guess Joel doesn't, right?" <laughs> so, I mean, right. it's so funny to me that you know they split up, and Joel's first thing is this like super serious Shakespeare movie, yeah. and then Ethan's first thing is this like Russ Meyer lesbian road trip comedy. Yeah, yeah. like that feels like it could be a joke from a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. I know, so, and, and I mean, like speaking of a joke from another Coen Brothers movie that. Uh, just so happens to just come about Clooney kept on joking that oh yeah well my next project is Hail Caesar and it was only like something that Coen Brothers hadn't written and only <laughs> joked about like of an idea like okay I guess we got to write Hail Caesar now because <laughs> Clooney said that was the next thing and that's how the idea came about because I think it was um, when they were filming Untolerable Cruelty or um, uh, or rather Art Thou when they were like oh yeah we kind of like the idea of like a dumb movie star kidnapped midway through production and the kidnappers are a bunch of communists. And it was just like, well, that doesn't- Wait, what's, that's such a random idea to come up right. like, yeah. I don't know, I like this idea. It's rattling yeah. around. When you're not yeah. specifically yeah. trying to write that movie that just comes to you, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. I guess that's just it, how they work. Like they're so smart where it's just like, and right. they had the, um, the Hobby Doyle character like already thought of but just like oh i get I oh for yeah, sure right right yeah. of like uh you know the cowboy like going into a uh like a george george Corger, uh you know directed movie and it's, I, it's just like yeah I, you can totally see that that's like the most coen brothers thing ever like ever yeah. like <laughs> ever it's not even <laughs> it's it's you would think that they were born with that idea and that they just yeah. it was just gestated long enough for them to like finally realize oh we've had this idea since birth <laughs> yeah yeah i just love the way that clean talks about them I, I i think he's my favorite act. i mean him and goodman like obviously like notorious collaborators but the way that he speaks is like so like affectionate um like when he was like you know we just re- had wrapped uh burn after reading and he was like guys this is the last time I play a nitwit. And then he gets the script for, for Hail Caesar. It's like, all right, one more time. You know, this is the last time I play in school. Is this our first Clooney? Yeah, I was looking through it. Yeah, 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 our first one. Uh, I guess I haven't said this yet. This is my mom's biggest crush. She fucking loves George Clooney. Mm. Like, ever since I was young, she would, like, even maybe when I was too young, she would tell me she fucking has the hots for george clooney i'm like all right i'm like silver fox eight. yeah i'm like eight. you don't need to tell me this i understand mm-hmm. uh she's like no this is, i really like him i'm like okay all right i'm mm-hmm. i don't need to know this information this is this is too much but uh um, i mean now getting older i'm like 
Yeah, no, she's right. I get it. <laughs> yeah, she's right. Mom was onto something. He's very, he's very handsome. He's very handsome. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes sense because, like, mostly directing this decade, and I think like, yeah, a lot of people consider something like The Descendants uh, to be a career best or up there with a career best. Certainly, like a role that was like perfectly suited for his um, sensibilities. My beloved Tomorrowland, you know, of course. Uh, <laughs> you and Brad Bird. Yeah. Yeah. Me and, and Mitchell, Mitchell, you know. Yeah, Those no, are the three doing. people who like that movie. Is Mitchell, you, yeah. and Brad Bird. Listen, he just want, he just wanted to go to Tomorrowland and they went there. So. Did, he, did, did Clooney produce that? I feel like he would have produced that. That's a great question. I I should know. I produced it. Uh, that's that's how um, I should. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Is Michael Clayton? That's before 2010s. Right? 2007. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was because I remember Tilda won the Oscar for supporting actress. Yeah. 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 The same year as uh, you know, like No Control Men and yeah. all that. Yeah. Isn't yeah, the exactly. American supposed to be good? Is that the movie? That's 2010. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be okay. Um, okay. And the December was that 2011. 2011. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really uh, good and then, movies. It, what's crazy is like thinking about Clooney. I think his last performance, or I think his last performance that I can recall that he didn't direct was Money Monster. <laughs> no, I was just like, you know what? No. I'm okay for now. <laughs> and then, like, that was 2016. That was the same year as us, obviously. And, uh, you know, I think a month or Who two. Was the tree? That was Foster, him, and what, O'Connell? O'Connell, yep. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of, like, Clooney and Tilda in something else, I think it's interesting that Tilda Swinton and Ray Fiennes will obviously share no scenes here. A few months later would be in a bigger splash, the Luke Guanino movie. Like close stars, but the sequel to the Tom Hanks movie, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. You've made that joke before. No, I haven't. I haven't. It sounded familiar. Well, all right. I'm not like an original here. I'm not like that smart. Right. Yeah. If it if it sticks, it sticks. Or they stole that joke from me. You never know. I mean (laughs) you never know. We'll never know. know. Yeah. I think we do when? know what we've been watching recently. Uh, um, I'd like to um, get into that. Um, yeah. Oh, professional, professional, professional. Yeah, I know. Uh, pray, 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 pray. Oh pray God. is good. Oh I God. love pray. Pray, pray is good. Pray, pray, good. pray. pray Dan- Danny pray. Track, man. That's what I'm calling him. No, uh, no more tracked and Friend Danny of the pot. I mean, I was going to say friend of the pot like he's been on, but it's like, you know, pr- I mean, we sing his praises during 10 Cloverfield yeah, Lane. Yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane. And, yeah. This is Directed even one of my favorite episodes of Black Mirror as well, Playtest with Robert Essel. Um, I, that, and funny enough, so I watched Hail Caesar and then right after that, Prey came on, like it was, it just dropped on Hulu because I'm on the West coast. So it came on, I don't know, maybe it was released at like nine or something since it's like that big, a lot of the companies go by East coast midnight and they're like, that's when we release things. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> and so I just, I just like, I couldn't wait. So I just threw it on and it's also really short too. So, um. Yeah, I watched that. That was fucking great. A uh, good movie. I had a ball. I'm planning on watching it again soon with the Comanche dub. Huh. Um, yeah. I, I, just really I just think it's so, so smart for him not to do anything too big. Like, just stay out of, like, a small scale. They need to make a million of these movies. They need yeah. to make, like, give a director... I don't know how much this costs. I feel like it might... It probably costs, like, under 60 Maybe even like, I don't know, it seems like, for, yes, there's like some, have, you know, special effects, but like the sets are pretty low key. 
Um, they're not doing much besides what, like with the Terminator, everything seems pretty practical and tactical um, or tactile. Um, so they need to make, they need to give every up and coming genre director like $50 million, give them a time, put a predator in there, make a movie. And like, and just like, in like interesting directors, obviously don't give, uh, I don't know, some random, you know, direct to video person, but like, you know, I, I, I give anyone, give anyone who wants to like, who needs that extra movie. That's like, I don't, I haven't done anything in a while or I'm in between projects and I don't really have anything to keep my, up my relevancy. Let me just do this. Mm -hmm. um, and of course this was more of a passion project because I think this was in development since like 2016, which I did not know. And I think that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, Even that before, before the predator. Which right, exactly. Um, so I'm, I now just want to like, you know, I don't want him to make another one because I want him to do other stuff, but I want, yeah. now I just like this formula. 50 mil, don't give like, not 100, not 200, give them like 50 mil, make a Predator movie in like feudal Japan or whatever, and then bounce. Mm -hmm. And then next person, I think someone said 1950s gangsters. And I'm like, that, that sounds great. Do that. <laughs> like Chicago gangsters. I, who cares? Like just fucking do this shit. Um, uh, or yeah, have it. What's that? What was, you guys remember Spike TV? Um what was that show deadliest warriors or whatever where they would take two like ancient war like like historical like warrior figures like spartans and you know fucking i don't know like you know japanese samurai and they would like have them fight it was a i really obsessed with the show when i was a kid um but just have that but with friends just like okay uh yeah like roman spartans versus the predator you know, feudal Japan samurais versus the Predator. Just <laughs> do it. It sounds dumb as shit, but have a good director behind it and it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And not that big a budget. It has to be like... That's the very... That's the key part. Yeah. You have... Yeah. You can't... Because th then it's like... Then you can't make many of them because then it's just going to be like, you know, they have to make, you know, 500 mil worldwide to be like... To make a cent or whatever. So then, mm -hmm. no, don't... Have it yeah. pretty reasonable. Um, and it's funny how it's like, we can't make many of them because then we know what will happen because it already has with the many Predator sequels. Um, right. And it's like the lessons that we can learn from that. It's a little bit like Alien uh, that has in common where it's like, well, well, we know what happens if it like goes bigger and bigger, although Alien is a good movie. So. I, think the, I think the key is that what Prey does is like, no one cares about Predator lore or like it going, like, you know, no one cares about like the real, like, you know, upping Predator, you know, because in the Predator, I haven't seen it, but Shane Black, isn't there like a super Predator who's like a better Predator than the other Predators or whatever? Like all that shit's stupid. Have one mm -hmm. just regular Predator fight, <laughs> like, you know, like be like a slasher villain and then have the person at the end kill them. That's it. You don't, this is not fucking rocket science. Yeah. Um, Don't fix the predator. <laughs> right. It's and, and and prey does that. It understands perfectly. And I think the reason why like they it's a good reason to call it prey instead of predators because it's I don't know, it's feel it feels more like drawn not drawn back, but like kind of pulled back and more simplistic and kind of takes it back to its roots and you know, have it be more, you know, character focused rather than just how many predators can we throw in this one? Three, four, maybe five. Um <laughs> but no it's just like one and he's he's a cool guy he's a mm. cool guy who does some cool stuff uh so that's that's mm. that's my take 
I also watched Lost Bullet on Netflix. It's a random like action thriller on a uh, French action thriller on Netflix. Um, it could be Belgian, but I think it's French. Uh, but I don't know. When I looked it up, it was like belt, like you know, it's one of those like co uh, co finance like Belgian, Belgian yeah. and France or whatever. And so I'm, uh, I, I it doesn't. I don't think they explicitly say where it takes place. I know they're speaking mm-hmm. French, but of course, Belgians also speak French. Um, good movie on Netflix. It's like an hour 30. It's like my kind of movie thriller straight to the point, really well made an hour and 30 minutes you're in, you're out, mm-hmm. you know, you feel, you know, you have a grand old time and then that's it. No more. You no feel less. satisfied after. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. Hour 30 through hour and 30 minute thrillers are like maybe my favorite genre. I love it. Even mm-hmm. though I've never, I don't like not a ton of them are like, groundbreaking masterpieces but i've or usually it's good. Like the best yeah it's it's like the best hit ratio that i've had though it's like yeah, where yeah i know like because if, if it's even kind of well made it'll be good because it's an hour and 30 it's a thriller like you don't need like of course you have your occasional like breakdown the kurt russell one that's like incredible yeah uh, lost bullet is good but it's not like it's not gonna fucking blow your hair back mm-hmm. um, there's a scene in a there's a fight a big fight scene in a uh, in a prison or not prison a police station that's really dope um but yeah that's 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 those are the two things i've been watching that's it that that and the americans uh i'm taking a break uh mm-hmm. so i finished season five season six the last season and i'm just i don't want it to end so i'm just like <laughs> i'm like pushing it back as much as i can like i don't want to watch the last season. yeah i don't want to i don't want it to end i don't want to because I also you hear some... the finale is pretty fucking heartbreaking, so I'm like, oh. Interesting. Yeah, you need some distance from uh, Matt and Carrie. You're like, guys, gotta stop hanging out. <laughs> oh, that'll feel so satisfying once it doesn't end. And then, like, bittersweet. Yeah. It's like, what do you do now? <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm not doing it. Yeah. I hear ya. Um, For me, I finally caught up with The King of Rock and Roll, Elvis. It's great. Ah. Uh, it's a triumph. I really liked it. Nobody could, nobody could have made this with as uh, it's, it's like, what if a music video was like three hours long? Um, I, I think Tom Hanks is miscast and Austin Butler is like the performance of the year. Um, I don't know. It's, it's great. I just, it's like, it doesn't talk. I feel like if it was anyone about Baz, it would have been like, like terrible in my eyes. Um, the, the direction it goes in, in the second half makes it like from good to great for me. And I just think it like takes a little bit to get where it's going. Um, but I, I just, I, I think it's really, really good. <laughs> I was like, well, I didn't, I don't think I expected it to be as good as it was. Um, Boz like went, like got some more points for me on our rewatch of Gatsby. And it just made, made me more excited for all of us. I think it's great. I need to see it. I need to see it. I plan to watching it in theaters, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen now. But it, I think it still mm. might be. Yeah, it might be. It's it's made quite a bit of money. What, I think. How did you see it? I saw it in theaters with uh, okay. past and future guest Sophia Carr. Oh. What did she think? She liked it a lot. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. It's her favorite movie of the year. Oh, wow. That's okay. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as new stuff, um, I saw Nope uh, a couple weeks ago, which I loved. Um, you know, that's definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. 
Um, apart from that, I've been sort of doing the thing this year where I'm trying to, you know, seal up my blind spots and like watch mm. the stuff that I'm embarrassed to admit that I haven't seen yet. Um, and I finally saw Touch of Evil for the first time in its entirety, which, you know, I've seen chunks of before, like, you know, in college, like they don't give you a film degree. I don't think if you haven't seen the opening tracking shot of Touch of Evil. Um, but yeah, I mean, it turns out Orson Welles knew how to make a movie. Uh, <laughs> and like, I like that it's... Citizen Kane wasn't a fluke. Right. Well, I mean, I like that it's less heralded than Citizen Kane because it's easier to like approach on its own terms. Like, mm. I feel like so many people watch Citizen Kane for the first time and like, you know, like looking at the Mona Lisa, like, okay, this is the thing. I have to figure out what the big deal is. Mm. Um and Touch of Evil, you know, as much as it's considered a classic, like doesn't really have that baggage. So you can no. be like, you know, oh man, like that shot's fucking amazing. Like, you know, and just like so much stuff he does in that, like feels so ahead, like at least 20 years ahead of its time. Just like characters like talking over each other and, you know, like the luridness, obviously. And even like some of the casting, like, you know, obviously the casting of white people as Mexicans wouldn't really fly today, but like the casting of Marlena Dietrich at that stage in her career as, in the supporting role as this, you know, sort of bordello madam, like feels a lot like the way like Tarantino casts people from right. like earlier decades in like a way that doesn't feel like wasting them, but it's like, okay, this is the correct person I need for this role. And it feels like that's what Orson Welles did with a lot of the casting in this. Um, mm. You know, casting Charlton Heston as Mexican again is not something that would probably fly today. But apart from it's, that, okay. Besides it being, you know, obviously offensive and inappropriate, it's also hilarious because it's like Charlton Heston is like the most American person to ever right. live. He was like, is he? He was wasn't he like the president of the NRA for like yeah, a good yeah, chunk of time? time yeah. yeah, and the whole movie is just <laughs> like, but I'm Mexican. Right. <laughs> right. You're just talking to me like that because I'm a Mexican. Right. It's <laughs> so fucking crazy. Ugh. Right. But In apart our, from for, that, like, right. it feels no, like great it been made like 20 yeah. years later. The, the opening is, I don't know if it's the opening, I haven't seen it in a while, but like, in one of my film classes, like a few years ago, my uh, teacher put on Touch of Evil just for like the tracking scene right. of is it like near the border is that the beginning yeah, that's, yeah the beginning. It, it, that's the that's the very beginning like that's the first shot right right and it's like this it, it's on you know the camera's on a crane and it's tracking and it's like fuck man that shit rules that's yeah, really good yeah. and it's like you know it's crazy to imagine like if he had had the you know the studio backing to be as prolific as like hitchcock like how much more he could have done like that and, you know, I don't know if how much of that is like the Hearst thing or like just his right. own temperament, but it's crazy to think that like he managed to get this stuff out while not really like it seems like he like forced these things in like, you know, on the margins. Mm. Yeah, yeah he, able, just shows, like, he was able to sneak it in. That's that's yeah, always yeah. been a fun thing when you see like a like a tour, someone who should be able to like make as many movies as they want, even though they can't. It's always fun to be like, oh, they stuck this one in. All right, yeah. right, cool. It, it only shows like the the time in which the studio system was at, and the amount of power that 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 filmmaker possesses because of like what they've done before. They were allowed to skate certain things by, even if there was like unnoticed or noticed um, 
it was because it was like Orson Welles or somebody where it's like, well, you know, we have this, this, and this, and then sure we have like Aston as, as a Mexican, but sure, you know, it's like, we got to, we have A, B, and C done. Yeah. It's so interesting. And, And you can't help but think of Clooney in Hail Caesar as like sort of a Heston or like an amalgamation of other people and Heston because of like just the Ben Hur of it all. I, I think like that comes to mind instantly. Um, but before we begin to Hill Caesar, let's learn about yourself a little bit more. Oscar Goff is here with us today. Lovely to have you. Thank you. Um, Great to be here. How did you get into film is what we like to learn about everybody. If there's like a movie from your childhood that like continues your love or if there's like things overall in your life that was just like, well, I hit this, this and this. And then that's just like, book or your love of film. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I think, the sort of root of it is probably from being just a child of the video store age. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was born in, you know, 1984, which was like right when video rental stores really sort of became ubiquitous. And then I graduated from high school in 2003, which was like right before they started really declining. Like, you know, by the time I graduated from college, they were pretty much pretty clearly on the way out. But I was born like pretty much at the exact right time to have that as sort of an unbroken thing in my childhood. And I think that really instilled is, you know, the world of movies to me from a very early age in a way that I'm not sure I would have gotten in another time. Just like, you know, even when I was a little kid and when I was only looking at kids section, just being in this space every week and being surrounded by, you know, what felt like every movie in the world and seeing the posters and, you know, the movies on loop on TVs you know, really sort of said like, okay, this is what I have to look forward to. This is the world that's out there. Um, So that was sort of the primer. But the thing that really blew the doors off for me, I think, weirdly enough, was probably Mystery Science Theater 3000, um, which I started watching that probably when I was like 12 or 13, like right around when it moved from Comedy Central to the Sci-Fi Channel. And I just thought it was the funniest and coolest thing I'd ever seen. and, you know, I watch it religiously. And on the one hand, I like to say that that's sort of my origin story as a critic. Like, mm. you know, it's like seeing, you know, George Clooney on TV and ER and deciding to be a doctor. Like, you know, okay, that's who I want to be is I want to be watching these crazy movies and like coming up with clever things to say. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think it also opened sort of a very genuine curiosity in me uh, for film. Because like every week they come out with these crazy movies that I had no way of knowing existed. You know, like you're 12 years old and you've only ever gotten movies from a strip mall and suddenly you learn that Manos the Hands of Fate exists. And it's like- And I think that that's the only program like them. There wasn't, I'm pretty sure uh, that there was no Mystery Science Theater. Right, I mean, there was- Like an adjacent thing, I guess. Right, I mean, there was, you know, like Elvira, I guess was probably an antecedent, but that was, you know, a little earlier. so I like got the sense that this was the, you know, sort of the tip of a very large and weird iceberg. So I just started researching from there. Like I would go on to, you know, IMDb, which was pretty new at the time and just scroll through the entire filmographies of like Ed Wood and Roger Corman and Ray Dennis Steckler. Um, and then from there, I sort of started branching out. There were a bunch of sites at the time of, you know, like B movie reviews, like you know, badmovies.org and Stomp Tokyo and Cold Fusion Video is another one. And I'd go through those and just like try to find the craziest stuff I could find. And I got like the Video Hound Guide to Cult Films. I'd go through that and that sort of tied that together with more 
you know, quote unquote, legit stuff. And I would take, you know, all these resources and find just like the stuff maybe you see like, I have to see that. And then I would start going back to all these video stores that I grew up in. And I'd, you know, try to go to like, like all the crazy stuff. Um, and it was kind of a great time for that too, because this was right around when DVDs started coming out. So on the mm. one hand, you had all this, you know, previously very hard to find stuff suddenly coming out in these like great special editions. And on the other hand, you had the video stores trying to switch over from VHS to DVD. So they were just trying to sell off all the stuff that nobody else wanted to watch. And that's the stuff that I was looking for. So <laughs> I would just come home with like armfuls of this stuff. And like, that's how I saw like Peter Jackson's early films before Lord of the Rings came out right. and like, right. you know, all that stuff. Um, and then you were sort of in the best niche, like time possible exactly for, uh, exactly. for physical media and in films that were just like on the, like, on like films leaving in popularity and, and hitting the niche interest. I think that's really cool. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's easy to forget. Like, you know, you think of, today you think of like these cool like hip video stores uh you know with all this cool stuff but at the time it was like you could find like the weirdest shit at like the smallest hole in the wall video stores like my you know I grew up in pretty much the woods in central Massachusetts and I found in my local video store a VHS copy of violent shit which (laughs) is like crazy like German like shot on video gore film with no subtitles and like you could find like stuff at like any suburban video store it was crazy yeah um, and i feel like i should also probably mention that i wasn't just watching this like schlock like you know Lynch was... <laughs> i was watching good movies too. yeah <laughs> i, I was only I watching bad movies um like lynch was huge for me like yeah, i hate yeah, all yeah. of twin peaks off of bravo when they reran it in the 90s um back when that bravo was the channel that would show something like twin peaks yeah um, when you say it like bravo running to it's like that doesn't make any sense like, yeah i know it's yeah. i realized you know to someone who's younger that might sound like i'm an alien but like back <laughs> in my day bravo was like where i first saw like jim jarmusch and twin peaks and like powell and pressburger wow and yeah like errol morris had a show on bravo like i think fishing with john originally ran on bravo it sounds like a joke but i know no, it's, it, it's it crazy yeah 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 wow like, <laughs> the, crazy. like the tagline was the performing arts network and you just you know tune in to see like a two-hour documentary about john waters or something like that yeah 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 um wow and then you know i was into all the standards you know teenage gateway stuff like you know tarantino and kubrick and you know as it happens the cohen brothers which mm. you know sort of brings us to where we are now mm. absolutely and you know i think um i, I think both of us have this sort of like we're we're just getting to film at this time where it's like like 2013 2014 when blockbuster i mean i think for for me it was on the out like it was Mm. it was just leaving the world (laughs) and uh stream was just coming in it was just on the rise so i think i kind of got like a little taste of what it meant to go to a video store but just, but just as it was leaving. So I was just like, right. okay, so this is like, I, like, I, like, I, I went like a few times with my dad or something, um, but not enough to like make it seem like that was my candy store. Um, <laughs> and, but, and like, you know, I remember when like our 
I guess not remember entirely, but I think I have a clear vision of what Netflix looked like when it just, when like it just started, um, like a big enough memory, I think, uh, same goes for like, you know, we brought it up a few times, like Filmstruck, <laughs> like yeah. that was like my stream service. Like that was, that was like what I considered to be like, cause that was the first one where I like paid for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I would have loved to have had that all yeah. that too, as a kid. Like yeah. I remember like this again is going again, to like, like bringing back up to the Coen brothers. First time I ever saw Blood Simple on a Filmstruck. You know? Right. So it's like, that was, that was my uh, blockbuster a little bit. Wow. I guess. Yeah. I mean, this is going to sound like a joke, but one time I was like home alone and I didn't have my driver's license and I literally walked five miles to rent a copy of Seven and like walked I mean, back. And we would have done the same. We would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the real appealing aspect of that and that and of that and it getting in, uh, getting you into movies is that it's bringing it's bringing you the films rather you than you seeking out as mm. in it's you don't have any choice in that it's like you're gonna watch this movie this is the oh, movie you're sure. gonna watch and this is what you, and, and you're gonna react to it because yeah. i think what i have trouble with is like currently and maybe even since i was like and ever since i've been getting into movies is that it feels sometimes inauthentic the way i come come to a movie um in a way that it's like I have to know what all of my friends think about it. I have to know the director. I have to know the actor. Like I have to do all this like pre-research of whatever for me to decide a movie to watch. Um, and that's not how it's been for a lot of people. And that's not how it is for a lot of people even now, uh, people who are kind of outside the space for sure. Like I think there's plenty of Joe Schmoes who are just like, this looks like an interesting title. Let me press play. Yeah. Um, but I, think I don't- similar- similarly for me i feel as though like lately i've i've treated it as like a checklist and it's like i need to go through all the orson wells for example or like right but i think there's good to that um then it goes to be just something where i i don't find a discovery um though like seeing something new is always going to be thrilling it's just i won't have a mystery science theater to bring it to me. Um, right. I just can't think of the last movie I saw that I had like a blank slate going into. Same, same. Yeah. Like yeah. no precon- another, Right. Yeah, that I think streaming has also about- kind of ruined that too. And maybe like right. access right. Exactly, yeah. Like that was another sort of great thing about video stores is it's just, you know, everything laid out alphabetically and you could just be like, oh, what the hell is this thing? Right. And, you know, because you then had to pay your $5, you had to watch that thing and yeah. not just like put it on your queue right yeah, right right yeah. right right it was an obligation got, and that right. was that's sort of like the brilliance right. of the movie where it's like it right. has and an expiration date of yeah. course and, and, and you uh, have to watch it in three days yeah. or you yeah, yeah. charge more money jeez netflix like man like thing of course like things have like a uh like they rotate their selection out every month but it's like they need like a like a five-day expiration like that'll get us like so much more regimented yeah <laughs> people would riot but i would love it like yeah. i think people would riot in the streets but i think that would be a great idea i mean that's what movie is kind of right like yeah they, yeah, yeah um even though i don't it's just you know i don't i don't pay for it unfortunately uh, it's, just, it's funny like i got a discount with movie through my school's email and it's like i've seen a few things and i've seen things that i really like still don't use it as much as i want to right but there's that thing yeah, of like same. there's so many streamers out there 
and I think it's just um I, you know I keep so many watch lists has always been my thing lately where it's like I go to like a list every few days and it's like you know get it like a random number generator it's like sort of like I'll, I want to keep a variety of lists of a variety of things in there and it's like you know uh, my those, friends those things like wheel. may not have one streamer in mind for where they're located and most of the time it's not movie <laughs> right my friends so you said r- random number generator and I think that's really interesting because my friends they'll make wheels like digital wheels not like actually not like have putting a wheel up in their yeah, house like sick. let me spin it uh it'd be kind of cool though um but they have like you know wheel apps or websites on their on, on their computer or phone and they're we should like, get a wheel and decide to guess through that like oh yeah that would actually right. be kind of fun um but they so they'll just like enter all the movies they kind of want to see whether they're like shitty films or like recent recently released or you know rewatches they'll just throw in a whole bunch of shit just there's no sometimes there's a rhyme and reason sometimes there is and we'll just spin it and then we'll just say oh that's what i'm watching and i can never do that shit it's just not (laughs) i don't oh i can't I, i wish i could and i wish so the idea of mystery science theater is like I mean, obviously, there that still exists, and, ob- and there's other things I can do to like recreate that feeling. But there is some comfort and also some kind of unknown to me about it, like where I'm just I can't even understand that feeling of just like going yeah. in blind. It's just ha- I haven't. Done of course, it like having Mystery so Science, Science Theater like uh, come out uh, in a pre-internet age where it's like they can't be replicated. Like that's so right um, although it was fun- actually it was kind of funny because like the internet was kind of a part of that because i you know again showing my age i would go on to the mystery science theater news group uh rec rec.arts.tv.mst3k.miscellaneous <laughs> and i would and there was like this whole community of you know mystery science theater fans there like you know commenting on episodes and through that i got kind of got into tape trading as well because there were all these like networks and that especially existed for them because you know that you couldn't see the Comedy Central episodes at that time and you just find someone who has that you like make a copy of your tape by like hooking two VCRs together um and that's how I got to see a lot of like weird stuff as a teenager too is I would just like Mm -hmm. go on these message boards and find a person that's like you know like a copy of Night of the Lepus or something or like some mm. weird fucking movie that wasn't in any video store and then I'd send them a copy of like some weird movie that I happen to have um like I mentioned trade a lot of things for Mr. Mike's Mondo video which is this like weird like SNL spinoff from the 70s that I found a copy of hmm. that's so cool yeah uh, it's like a whole yeah and then well, I can't remember now if we cut you off earlier from like your story of like getting into film or if it was just like this is the, like Bravo sort of like brought you into different filmmakers. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I got things from a lot of things like Bravo was definitely a huge thing in the 90s. Mm. You know, again, as weird as that is to say now. Um, but you're you not know, still re- watching Bravo. You're not watching yeah. Real Housewives <laughs> yeah. of Utah or whatever. It would be yeah. funny if like you were watching Real Housewives and you're like, okay, well, surely they're going to play Pink, Pink Flamingos next. Like, right. It's, gonna be, yeah, it's coming I mean, on soon. <laughs> the weirdest thing to me is that <laughs> of all like the original Bravo, they kept inside the actor's studio going into like the Real Housewives era. And they'd bring out like poor James Lipton and he'd have to interview like the members of Bon Jovi or something. <laughs> 
That's but like, right. and like that was a great big thing too, because it was just these like two hour interviews where like an actor talked to you. So like that's where I first learned about Philip Seymour Hoffman was was oh, wow. watching his Inside the Actors Studio episode. You yeah, discovered I discovered Bradley to... Cooper that way. Like, oh, look, there he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mr. De Niro. I'm a big fan. Um, my question for you is, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, so uh, oh, God, that clip. <laughs> and the AV Club was also a big thing for me, like, back mm. when that was, like, you know, just, like, the yeah. black and white insert in the middle of the onion, like, mm. you know, it felt like an extension of, like, the cool video store clerk pointing you to the cool stuff. And that's definitely mm. where I learned about a lot of, like, you know, cool stuff that wasn't, you know, these schlocky b movies from the 50s and the 80s right right and you get and that also when do you think you got into foreign like international film uh foreign i mean i guess that i really got more into in college because i went to college for film at emerson and that you know really turned me on a lot of like the art house like new wave stuff like the dark i went hard on in college um you went hard on the guitar yeah hard on (laughs) or like go or like go hard go hard yeah yeah oh that's so funny i not. i now i might put i might put that in my like twitter bio going hard on guitar yeah. jean-luc go hard oh yes. that's perfect yes. oh, man. <laughs> exactly that's like the short-lived amazon series with jean-claude van damme called jean-claude van johnson that feels <laughs> of a lot of a uh, no. huh. i know yeah. weird reference i don't know what to tell you i just had it yeah, that sounds about you. That sounds about right for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's also, it's so funny because those references are like, I never watched the fucking show. Yeah, I just I know, know seriously. that reference. Yeah. That's just the funniest part. It's also, and also I can tell you that the first t- anytime I say that show, I think of the other one, I Love You Dick, which was uh, Kevin Bacon, short-lived Amazon show. <laughs> I think I remember hearing about that. I have no idea if any of those are good. I think yeah. I think actually I heard John Claude's might be good, but you know the people are just waiting for your Bosch legacy references. <laughs> I have not watched if, if, you, you gotta know, get it, you had, gotta get over the freebie thing. You gotta go people over have approached me, Clay, as the most you know <laughs> notable Bosch fan that I know. Have you been watching the new show Bosch Legacy? And I have not. I need to. I understand. I understand I'm like disappointed. Thank God that we're addressing the rumors. We're addressing the fans, rumors. but I I don't know when, and I can't promise when I'm going to. It's just the ads. It's just very mm. anti-Bosch to me. Like, you know, it really, like, messes with the Bosch <laughs> vibes. To have ads in the middle of Bosch is very, you know, it's just not It organic. disrupts it's, the Bosch flow. I mean, it, it just, it doesn't but, feel I mean, traditional. Think about it, it feels, this way. You could, like, you're taking a break from Matt and Carrie right now. Just, like, give it one episode. I don't know. It's like. <sighs> maybe, maybe. All right, all right. Maybe, I'll think about all it. All right. There's right. a lot of TV out there. I'll, 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 I'll keep everyone updated, of course, because everyone <laughs> wants to know my Bosch takes. Um, oh, my God. Right now, I have not. Uh, I don't even know if it's good. I actually, I literally, no one's watching it. Even the few Bosch heads that I know haven't been watching. I think maybe Jen has watched it. I might, I might, I might text Jen. She's another should, Bosch head. Yeah, so. you should text Jen and see. <laughs> Me and Jen have, like, the same television yeah. diet. So... <laughs> Just like that, oh, or not bad, but like you know, middle aged dad shows, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, the two of you are like 70 years old, it's great. Um, right, you know, who else has a great inside the actor studio, which I watched a bunch of when James Lipton, Jim Lipton passed away? Uh, George Clooney, oh, yeah. and uh, which brings us to Hell Caesar. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long since your last confession, my son? 27 hours. 
It's really too often. You're not that bad. Here at Capital Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're going to give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but... If we had... Faith! 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 Cut! Ah. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future. Hello, Bert. Hello, Mr. Mannix. Lawrence, Hobie, thank you all for coming. The studio needs your help. Bad Whitlock has been kidnapped. This is bad. Bad for movie stores everywhere. She sings the perfect harmony. Let's spend 24 hours. But we're looking for him. We don't want it in the gossip columns. This is going to cost the studio a lot of money. And that's where you come in. I need some cash. You must have very strong forearms. Is it hard squeezing it like that? It's part of the job, miss. I'd like to know what the hell is going on here. 20 million readers want the truth, Eddie. Truth, yes. Mm. Eddie. So won't you tell me no truth, I want to hold your lines. Don't you tell me no truth, I want all of your lines. This is a drama, Mannix, a real drama. Mr. Mannix, I know it sounds screwy, but someone's calling from the future. Good Lord. Wondering what's going on? Yeah, so I actually slept on it when it came out completely. Um, you know, partly because at the time, you know, I was already writing at the time, but I was mostly focusing on new arrivals as I am today. Um, but I'd also kind of at that point fallen off on the Coens to a certain extent. Like I wasn't, like I wouldn't say like I disliked them at that time, but, you know, like I said, I got into the Coens in high school. Like I, you know, went hard on, like I went nuts for them. I watched everything that they had done up to that point, um, mm -hmm. you know, up to and including Crime Wave and The Naked Man. <laughs> and, you know, I thought they could do no wrong even having seen The Naked Man. But then I had the devastating experience of Intolerable Cruelty and the Lady Killers coming out my freshman year in film school. Oh, my God. And, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's not like I decided they weren't good. But at that, at that point, I'm like, maybe I don't need to see everything these guys that put out. And especially um, those two following Oh Brother Art, though. Right. Well, well, they did. Uh, Which is just amazing. Between, but, oh, you're right. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah I totally forgot. Yeah. But, but, I mean, I love that. Too. Mm -hmm. but like and like having those come out like so close to each other was very strange like yeah i think there yeah. was less time between those two movies than there was between kill bill one and two which interesting you know, came out right like around yeah. the same time so like obviously i saw and loved no country for old men when it came out slept on burn after reading and true grit when they first came out and a serious man i saw and i liked but it was like just a little bit too punishing of its main character for me to like really vibe with to the extent that I wanted to 
Um, and then, you know, I, you know, hope this doesn't get me kicked off the podcast, but I did not love Inside Lewin Davis as much as I know a lot of people do. Um, like there are things about it that I love, but, you know, again, it's like partially that and partially just that I have an aversion to Mumford and Sons. Like, ha, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Like to put, to put it in Coen Brothers terms, like they're my eagles, like. Yeah. And, and I mean, like talking about in 2013, like I, I think that was like the apex of Mumford and Sons. Right, exactly. You know what exactly. I mean? So it's like a kind of like the idea. <laughs> oh, that I find that so funny. Oh my God. Yeah, their version of Mumford and Sons that's fantastic right but I think it's, <laughs> it's like the fact that they want to adapt the memoir of uh, Dave Van Rock and right. also Mumford and Sons were taking off at that time that combo no I, I totally yeah. understand and like you know I love like I like Dave Van Rock a lot and I like you know a lot of stuff from that era and it always yeah. just like felt to me like this very 2010s version of 1960s <laughs> right. folk yeah and and like I'll admit that that's maybe a me problem too. Like I was a record store clerk for many years, so like this is the sort of thing that I like zero in on. It. So you're like Vietnam flashbacks. Of exactly. Like, like, <laughs> like if a character puts on a record in a movie, I like turn into Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like that ah, record was never released on Seven Inch. Yeah. Like that yellow label means it's from the '80s reissue campaign. Oscar, we need to get you on like a Vanity Fair like breaks down like <laughs> like uh, in in movie character uh, depth like needle drops like oh i would uh, be it's like diegetic i think that's the term like yeah like uh, needle drops like <laughs> Do you, have Wait. you seen corella i haven't no oh i mean good yeah that's yeah uh, but it has well they're playing okay let's it's keep it that in way. industrial london and they're playing fucking motown i don't get it <laughs> right yeah, they play so much motown and, and craig gillespie he usually like tones it down on needle drops i'm gonna right? find you, you craig like... i'm gonna find you <laughs> I haven't seen Sam and Tommy. I haven't seen it, and I won't watch it. But I'm going to find you, and I'm going to talk to you very sternly about a few things. Yeah, and Motown like in London in the industrial area. I don't. I forget what fucking year it was, but I don't even think it was the fucking '60s. I'm going to find like, you. Like at least use like Northern Soul something. <laughs> yeah. Detroit uh, I Motown. What the fuck is wrong? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. And I Tanya too. Like that's like. Wow, this is like going so hard. For okay, me. but like, there's no okay. With I Tanya, I even forget. I forget where the movie takes place. It's not like it has this rich setting. It's trying to take place in. It's yeah. like the whole point of fucking Corella is like, oh look at this dirty London. Everyone's you know, it's all fashion and gray and soot and debt. And then it's like they're playing you know fucking James Brown. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I wonder how much of it is just like actual punk bands wouldn't license their music. Right. Or if Craig Gillespie is just a fucking hack. All right, right. sorry. <laughs> like, that's another thing that I appreciate about Nip is like, they put on the record, like, it's the correct Exuma album, it's the correct label, like, Jordan Peele knows how to do it, but... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but anyway, getting back to Hail Caesar, mm -hmm. the point is that, you know, when it came out, like, I, like we talked a little bit before the show how the trailers didn't really sell like exactly what it was and I think I just kind of scanned it as like lesser Coen's like okay I don't need to see this mm. um and I didn't see it until 2020 actually it was a it was a pandemic watch for me and I'm kind of glad that I saw it when I did as opposed to when it came out because in between those years like between 2016 and 2020 
I got much more into classic Hollywood than I ever had really had before. Um, you know, like I said, I was a cult movie kid and then I was, you know, into art house stuff in college, but I didn't really get to real, like really into Hollywood stuff until, uh, you know, I was in my thirties and I went on, you know, like when, when I got film struck, like I went on a big like screwball comedy kick and like silent film. And I listened to a lot of, uh, you must remember this Karina Longworth's podcast, which is great. Um, so I feel like by the time I got to Hail Caesar, I was much more attuned to what they were riffing on. Like, you know, I'm sure I would have liked it before, you know, I would have seen it as like this, you know, sort of broad farce, which it is, but I was able to appreciate more like, oh, they're doing like this very specific period of right. MGM. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I had a better sense of like the studio system at that time. And I think it really helped me appreciate it a lot more by the time that I saw it. Um, and, you know, I knew some, who some of these people were to a greater extent than I would have before. Um, but yeah, since then, I, you know, it's really shot up in, you know, the, la- the number of rewatches I've had for Coen Brothers film. Like, it's definitely the one I've revisited the most in the past few years. Um, and you would say, like, it's the, it's your favorite of the four 2010s Coen Brothers? I would say so, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I do, I do like Buster Scruggs a lot. And, you know, I, I don't like I like Inside Lou Nicks. Like I should probably give it another chance. The other thing is after some I, distance from Mumford and Sons. Yeah, Sox. yeah, maybe and like maybe like as a burnt out thirty something now, I'd appreciate it more. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean I, I think that you know you talk about the moral dilemma and consequences that you see Larry face in a serious man. I mean that is really taken to the extreme. <laughs> inside right. Davis, right where it's just like you can't cut your break but that's only because um i mean yeah i, I don't need to explain it's yeah. news, but it's like yeah, obviously lewin is his own worst enemy and there's yeah. no one that can bring him success because he only uh brings his own downfall it's, that's why i've always responded to it where it's just like I, I think even like when i first i mean we have an episode about it but it's like even when i first saw it where it's like wow okay there's no antagonist here <laughs> it's like right, i think right. there's sort of like it taught me things that i didn't know or or possible. Um, the real yeah, antagonist is... is how he spelled Lewin. Yeah. I just want to point yeah. that out. <laughs> well, Two yeah. L's? <laughs> what? That shouldn't be allowed. It's like Aaron. Stop yeah. it. I, I think the real interesting thing, too, is like that's Lewin Davis. And then you compare that to Brolin's character in No Country for Old Men. That's Lewin, Mo- or Lewin Moss or Llewellyn Moss. Right. right? So it's like the little, uh, you know. Yeah, First names that start with like. the same letter twice. Llewellyn, get it out of yeah. here. Bad. I don't like it. Joel and Ethan are like incredible at naming their characters. It's like David Cronenberg. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Sorry. Would, did you? Were you going to go on about your first exposure? Or I mean, do we leave it on these details? That's pretty much it. I think as yeah. far as first exposure goes. Um, you know, I'm yeah, I think it's super interesting day. that you're like that. You passed on this in 2016, and like uh, pandemic hits, and you're like. Huh, let me give that like a like a go since I passed on it. Um, but you were already super super familiar with them. And yeah, the timing of the run after um uh Man Who Wasn't There and before No Country for Old Men. Pretty yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. For <laughs> Have me, you seen all of them. I, no, I I actually did not get to see I didn't even bother seeing Intolerable Cruelty and Lady Killers when they came out, just because like mm-hmm they just I got the uh-oh vibes from them yeah um 
Because I'm I, pretty sure, like in tall, like one of them were was like a work for hire. Yeah, I think in tall, but yeah. it was work for yeah. hire. And yeah. Lady Killers, I've seen the original, but I haven't seen yeah. their version. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still haven't seen True Grit, but I've seen everything else they've done. I think. Um. Yeah, I've seen all of them. One of my, they're one of my favorite filmmakers um, ever. And uh, you bring up, you must remember this. I think it was around the time or shortly after um, this came out, but Karina Longworth did a series on Eddie Mannix. Mm. And I remember that was like, huh, wow. Okay, so that's like the Home Brothers know, and like recontextualize everything just in the sense of giving me the true picture because Brolin isn't playing a real person. He's really just playing the person like who is named Eddie Mannix and is a Hollywood fixer, but it, this isn't really like- Yeah, I was gonna stories, say, but I, I had no idea Eddie Mannix was like a person. I had, yeah, I thought this yeah, was yeah. a thousand percent fictional. It's no, really I mean, just like the fact that there was a person named Eddie Mannix and was a Hollywood fixer. Yeah. Nothing else is true. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, feels, um, it, it feels to me kind of like, cause like he's not a famous guy. Like Eddie Mannix yeah, is not a person yeah. you'd read a biography of, but he's this like kind of zelling type figure that you see, like if you read any, movie stars biography from the 40s like at some point Eddie Mannix will show up to like smooth something over uh-huh. and I feel like this is the version of Eddie Mannix that the Coen brothers must have like imagined mm-hmm. you know reading all these stuff about other Hollywood people from the 40s well, um, why else keep he, his name that's so weird to me it is why weird. not just there's, change the name there's a few real names in the movie like he refers to his boss Nick Skink who was the head of MGM at that time okay um but everyone else, I think, is like, you know, based on real people, but they're clearly like fictional, mm-hmm. you know, fictionalized versions or like they're amalgamations of different people. Like communists obviously didn't exist at the time. So that has to be fictional. That, there's no <laughs> yeah. way yeah, yeah, that's yeah, actually yeah. true. <laughs> like Jane Bird Gurney. Like that's pretty obviously Gene Kelly. Right. <laughs> and um, no, they're smart of what of who they choose to uh, characterized them as amalgamation but then like who they pull from pretty directly yeah I remember seeing this in theaters with my dad this is one of the first experiences that I remember seeing in theaters alone because <laughs> like this, the movie did well but not like that well it came out in the U.S. Um, in February which is weird um, it premiered at Berlin but but I think like it, it was like at a festival and then in theaters like pretty shortly after or before and no I remember like really enjoying it at the time but because I was 16 I didn't know why I liked it I just knew I did I remember like my dad was really laughing I was like oh okay so if it's like funny it's just funny because I remember like really liking the Coen Brothers that time like I was 16 I was like I was a 16 year old who liked the Coen Brothers like of course I was gonna enjoy this but I, th- I think it was just like yeah, like, you know, it's late, like, it was late period filmmakers who have, like, been making movies for a very long time. Like, I think things are going to feel a little bit, like, slower. It's going to feel melancholic. And I think I just was unprepared for that. Um, and, but I, I remember liking it. I just couldn't tell you why. And, like, did your dad like it? Yeah, my dad loves the movie. Um, Is he a like, big Coen Brothers head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's a big Coen Brothers head. But there's, like, um, like my my dad loves like I think No Country for Old Men and uh, I think my my dad likes Big Lebowski but there's like things that in here that I'm like I remember the beats of this but I think this really on this rewatch felt like the first time again 
uh, just because it been so long. Um, no, I I love this one. I think it's great. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else I remember seeing it. Like, yeah, like you remember just like the critical reception at the time was like, like it was like a soft like thumbs up. <laughs> like I, the, yeah, I, I that's why I didn't yeah. watch it. I just remember yeah. people were like, eh. yeah, yeah, that's like what I remember shrug. at the time. But I feel like over the past few years, there's been more of a reappraisal of it, yeah. which is kind of what yeah. brought me to see it. Finally. It's super interesting. I also think, well, I just, I know, okay, I'm about to quote a site that is, should not be necessarily held in uh, reverence as much as it is currently, but I looked up Rotten Tomatoes, okay? <laughs> just don't, don't shoot me. Um, I was just curious, because I'm like, well, this, it just felt we like- can't shoot you, but had, we'll mute you. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, at, at the time, it felt like one of, like, their worst reviewed movies in a while. Like, cause it just, mm. I, and I, and I'm only going off of that, like off the base of my memory and then, you know, like 86 on Rotten Tomatoes, but then you look at the audience score. And again, these audience scores mean jack and shit. Um, but it is weird how low this is. Cause it has no, there's no controversy with this movie. There's no crazy hubbub. It has a 44%. That's weird. Yeah. I saw it had like a C, like a C minus, like uh cinema score yeah yeah, yeah cinema score, yeah. which is also very That's bizarre, bizarre. yeah because like, i love cinema scores so yeah. like yeah i think it's one of the more yeah. reliable because it's like that's like real people saying no yeah because yeah, like yeah. audience yeah. scores are like fucking nerds like i need to make an account on rotten tomatoes and rate this <laughs> like who fucking cares but it's like real people like yeah mothers and fathers and like whatever just like <laughs> i liked it i didn't like it. right yeah it's weird because like it does seem like it would be like a crowd pleaser. I, I, I think people were expecting it to be a farce and an ensemble uh, screwball comedy, but I think it was more just Eddie Mannix's Dana life. And th- he's the father to these spoiled children uh, and, you know, like Jonah Hill and Scarlett Johansson getting top billing. And yet yeah. they're only in a few scenes. I think it must have confused people on how it was sold to them. Yeah, but like Andy Cohen Brothers one. comedy, um, it doesn't tell you how to feel. It's just like, and it just, and that's the end, right? It just like <laughs> sort of trips away. And I love that. I, I mean, same with my beloved, and mine and Eric Zipper's uh, uh, A Serious Man, where it's like, it just sort of- Eric like, Zipper is a serious man. And with this, it's so poignant because it's like, you know, studio systems are dying. You know, it's like television is right around the corner and it's like- uh, uh, actors are going to have more control. Filmmakers going to have more control, right? So I just love though that Eddie Mannix is like the focal point for this because I kind of like I like Buster Scruggs, and I'm sure someone will bring it to us one day. I wish that had like an Eddie Mannix where it just like wasn't all anthology. Yeah, but that's yeah. I think that's me a hang up as someone who's not crazy about an anthology format. Well, yeah, I don't I mean, think it, many people are. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean it's funny to me, kind of you know, in retrospect, that their last two movies, you know, theoretically as a duo are this and Buster Scruggs, because they both, in some ways, kind of feel to me like a clearinghouse of ideas, like, you know, they both have a bunch Um... of disparate stories, you know, they both let them sort of hop from genre to genre, Um, and it's like, and that's their last two movies, like, their last sustained narrative, you know, so to speak, was probably Lewin Davis, Mm -hmm. where it's just one story yeah that's interesting yeah because it's like it is this movie for sure maybe even london scruggs is more of just like what if we just made an old hollywood movie 
Right. What if we just mm-hmm. did that? <clears throat> like, I mean, wouldn't that I mean, be like cool? I said, it was like Clooney just like being like, oh, yeah, you know, we talked about Hail Caesar once. And... <laughs> but, but then they're just like, okay, then can we do like a synchronized swimming fucking set piece? Then can yeah. we do like a Western set piece? Can we do a, like a, you know, a musical set piece? Right. Like, like, like dancing. They quoted, like they were quoted as saying like, it was like directing a new movie every day where it's like yeah. to shoot the Channing Tatum sequence. And then, you know, uh, and, you know, there's that story that I'm reminded of now of like when they were writing Miller's Crossing, um, they wrote Barton Fink in between because they couldn't figure out how to crack Miller's Crossing. They wrote a, a screenplay about someone who has writer's block. So and I think they're funny. always in that tune. But, yeah, you know, that's actually kind of funny to me because I was thinking about that this time around. Like, this is really their second movie about MGM, essentially, the yeah. first being Barton Fink. Yeah. And I had the thought at first, like, oh, it'd be funny if it was the same studio 10 years apart. And then I looked back. And it is. On it's Capital yeah. Rec- It's Capital exactly. Pictures. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a stealth Barton Fink sequel, yeah. just without yeah. any of the same characters or actors and a completely different tone. Shared universe, dude. Yeah. Shared universe. <laughs> but it's also, but I started thinking about that more. Um, and it's also kind of funny to me, you know, again, because it is their second to last movie as a duo. Like watching it this time, I really felt like Eddie Mannix's sort of, you know, crisis of like, does he still want to stay at the studio or does he want to, you know, go to Lockheed? You know, it does kind he of still feels... believe in the pictures? Right, exactly. And it kind of feels like it's being made by someone with like a crisis of, you know, do I still want to keep making movies? And it's interesting to me that, you know, it's the same setting as Barton Fink because, you know, Barton Fink was them working through writer's block and sort of right. expanding oh, that onto this canvas. And this time it's, you know, they go back to Capital Pictures and this time it's, you know, trying to work out their feelings of, you know, fatigue or whatever, or do I still want to keep doing this? And, you know, by the end of it, obviously he does decide to stay at Capital Pictures and they decide to stay for at least a few more years together. But, you know, his whole arc, I think, really resonated with me a lot more this time than, you know, even the last time I saw it. Um, and it's interesting to me that they use this same sort of playground to exercise this stuff on both times. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, because it's, yeah. I don't know, I've never been that curious about their internal lives. Like, I never right. really cared. It's like, they're two, they're two pretty laid back guys. You know, they're not, I don't remember, like, I don't remember a great interview from them. I don't like, oh, yeah, do you remember that one interview they did that's, like, super cool? Yeah. Um, I think what's, and, what's interesting is, like, they really speak and articulate themselves like their characters do because they're so right. smart and they're so quick-witted. And you're just, like, the, you and you never know the, whether, the, and you never know whether like, they're telling you the truth. Yeah. Like, they right. yeah, yeah, just yeah, be making yeah. stuff up. <laughs> Like it's, I remember like, on yeah. the on the original DVD of The Big Lebowski, they have like a little like interview puff piece. And there they tell a story about how they were interviewed by someone claiming to be from like Rug Fanciers Monthly or something like that. And they gave them a whole interview. And then they realized afterwards that like, there's no way that's a real magazine. Right. Yeah. And, but then it's like, you know, or do we know that that's a real story or is that right, just right, them like right. coming up with something? And that's one of those funny things about them is like, you never really know what you're getting from them at face value. 
Um, and that's kind of what's interesting to me, you know, trying to read between the lines of the movies, because it's like that's the only place where they might be real, as weirdly enough. Yeah, like, vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. They don't seem like heart on their sleeve dudes. No. Um, yeah. And I'm not and saying you know, everyone has to be, but it's interesting. And you bring up that the Coen brothers are so relaxed. I think it's just like they've lived normal lives and they happen to be brilliant writers and filmmakers. Yeah. Um, you know, Joel is obviously married to Francis. <laughs> Uh, Wait, Ethan is married to uh, <laughs> Ethan is married to their longtime editor Trisha Cook, right? So it's it's sort of interesting that they just like happen to like get along real well well with their collaborators and live a happy life through I, their their artwork. Um, I have like a Mandela effect thing where like for years I was under the impression that Ethan was married to Holly Hunter, and I don't know why I thought yeah. that. <laughs> oh, because they I mean they famously <clears throat> um, all stayed in that apartment together like in the 80s i think right like, like that's Francis, probably holly hunter from. sam raimi like the, yeah. all that group like whoa that's... sam raimi what yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't expect yeah. that name that's such a wild name just <laughs> yeah. like okay yeah, yeah it was like the Co- holly the hunter Co- and sam raimi hey. yeah i think bruce campbell lived with them too bruce campbell there. right and yeah. i would like yeah. i would definitely watch a sitcom about that apartment. i know yeah. could you imagine that yeah. i would watch every, i would watch every everything like you know how i think i don't know i'm not a big brother head but i think big brother they have like cameras on 24 7 or whatever like you can go on a, like a live feed and like just see them sleeping or whatever i would do that but for them i would for yeah. sure do that that sounds incredible I, yeah i do want to watch bruce campbell sleep okay sue me all right i'm i'm honest all right get, all in, line. Want, get in line we yeah. don't admit it to yourself i i know yeah um that's yeah cohen's so this is our second cohen it's our second cohen and also our follow-up to inside lynn davis and we've done this in lynn davis right so yeah. i'm i've always had the weirdest relationship with the cohen's just because like i love like probably most of their movies but if mm. anyone ever asked me are they like are they one of your favorite directors i'm like no but even though like if you do it like mathematically, like, oh, what ratings I've given or like, you know, the percentage of blah, 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 like they're probably up there. Mm. But I've never like had that real deep connection with them, even though like I love Tail Caesar. I love this movie. Uh, you know, Big Lebowski is one of my favorite movies of all time. But it's just I don't I, I, I maybe I haven't subscribed to their aesthetic or mantra as, as you know, others have. But like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Well, um, it could like be. I- it, yeah, I think it could be just that coldness that they right. have towards their characters. I think that's they it. hard. I think that's that it. they can be so cruel. I right. just love that that is like, like the moral dilemma of the world and how that relates to, right. like, faith and all that all this that they're concerned about. Yeah. How it's sort of played into it. I also think that it's resolved by the end. From what I noticed, a majority of the time, if not all the time, by their endings, that they usually give their characters like a pretty satisfying ending, even if it's inconclusive. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they always have, like, in a lot of their movies, these have these, you know, sort of very convoluted plots that ultimately, it turns out, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you see that, like, Blood Simple and Burn After Reading, and to a certain extent here as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's why I love them, where it's just, like, yeah, a big shrug at the end. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you know what? The world is unimaginably difficult, and we just sort of, like, make do with the things that we do that we can solve and the things that we do know i mean really i think 
it's fascinating to me. It always has been interesting that the Big Lebowski has been their most famous because like it's such a strange film to be as popular as it is in a way. It's, it's like it's so like it's their noir. It's their noir stoner yeah. comedy. Um, I mean, it I, was I don't know. not. It was not. Right, right, right. It's a class. Like it's a cool classic. Years. You're right. Yeah. It, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I remember, sure. you know, I saw it like probably just around when people were starting to catch on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, because it followed Fargo, it had, you know, kind of Paul's boutique syndrome yeah. where, you know, it's great, but it wasn't what people wanted at that moment. Mm-hmm. But now it's like a foundational comedy. It's like right, one exactly. of the foundational com- comedies of American cinema. Right. As in, everyone understands the references. Everyone knows the dude. Everyone, like, it's, I mean, it's the true definition of a cult classic because yeah. I, I think sometimes people... And sometimes when people say cult classics, they just mean movies that people liked later. Like, people are like, oh, yeah, that was actually pretty good. This is, like, a classic. Like, right. a fundamental yeah. classic Yeah, film. I mean, you know, to be honest, I don't even know if I would call it cult anymore. Like, I feel it's kind right. of, like, crossed over that bell curve. Exactly. And now it's just a classic. It's legitimately on my sight and sound. Like, if, oh, I, had, sure. if I had to make a sight and yeah. sound. I am obsessed I with it- that movie. I think it placed on the last list. I think it was the only Coen Brothers movie ah. to make the last sight and sound list, funny enough. It's, but like you said, Jack, it is bizarre because it's like there's a fucking, like a scene where he imagines he's like riding the galaxy and then doing bowling with a Valkyrie or whatever. Like it's like, it's not like, it, it's very much like a bizarre movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, with Hail Caesar though, I'm still, as I was watching it, so this is my first time watching it. I have no real yeah. exposure. I was the same as you, Oscar. I was just like, I skipped it. I was like, oh, yeah. people don't really like this. I wasn't like totally sold by the trailers. I also had no real background knowledge of the studio system or classic Hollywood. It was just one of those things where, it's, yeah, no, I'm just not going to watch this. Okay, that's fine. Um, I watched it. And, 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 and like you said, you were Cohen ambivalent at the time as well. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, since then, I've like, you know, obviously I know more about like the studio system, uh, that era of Hollywood, but also I've just heard people reclaim this more and I'm like, oh, so maybe there is something to this. Mm-hmm. And watching it, I was just kind of like on, on the surface, I know why this didn't connect with people, but I'm just like watching this and just like, what's, I guess maybe it's like, I, if I feel like a director is having fun when making a movie or like they're really like, they, every they're just doing they're, they're you know kids in a with a toy box or whatever like they get to do everything they fucking want they're just playing around smashing action figures together just having a ball hyped up on mountain dew or whatever the fuck like they're just so like they they couldn't have the biggest smile they couldn't have a bigger smile on their face i usually will like that movie um and mm-hmm. this is how it felt for me i mean it, like you know whether it be the tatum sequence or anything to do with um uh alden ehrenreich hobie doyle mm-hmm. like yeah all of that shit, they're having so much fucking fun. Um, and I just, and the actors are having a really good time too. I also yeah. think the casting works so well. They really oh, was like, sure. yeah. Who is yeah. I mean, every, they're like, masterful get casting. I mean, they, they, they work with a, oh gosh, I remember, I can't remember the woman's name, but like, I know who it is that they've worked with the same casting director throughout their entire career. Mm-hmm. And I think like a handful of directors, including them, are, like the best ever to me like i mean right. there's an entire video that i saw recently um wow. about just the minor coen brothers characters and and how that that um you know obviously they are perfectionists at uh 
um, making you feel like you've lived in a location for every film, but it's like the minor characters that are in there for a scene, like are so, so good. And I mean, Jonah Hill, I think is the perfect example where it's like Jonah Hill was like so popular in 2016, you know, just like really, really on the rise. But it's like one scene and treated like a character actor, right. not Jonah Hill. I mean, He's- the, mm-hmm. the communist screenwriters too. I mean, that's like- yeah. Yeah. Oh, who's who of like great like that yeah. guy actors Patrick right Fischler, now. Fred Milland, yeah. yeah who's Fischler, the yeah. succession dude with the big cheeks? Big cheeks. Bald. He was one of the communist writers. I love him. Oh, never mind. I'll love yeah. Him. I mean, Alex I Karpovsky like, like comes in with the photograph, the, yeah. the camera. <laughs> I feel like Fred Melamed and Patrick Fischler are like the two quintessential bad guy actors right now. Mm. Where like. You know, even people who are really into movies might not know their names, but then like when they pop up in something, it's like, oh, it's Cy Abelman, or like, oh, it's the guy from Winky's Diner. Yeah, they're like in memes that normal people use. You know what I mean? It's like they're in memes that like people who have not even seen fucking like Mulholland Drive or uh, Inside or A Serious Man, and they use memes of those guys. Right. That's how like popular they are. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah. I'll admit that for many years, I thought that Patrick Fischler and David Dasmalkian were the same person. That's fair. That's <laughs> yeah, that's fair. 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 Like up to yeah. and including, like, I'm pretty sure the first time I saw Twin Peaks The Return, I thought they were the same character. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm thinking of yeah, Fisher I, Stevens, interesting. by the way. Fisher Stevens it, is the guy. Fisher I'm oh, yeah. Fisher Stevens. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great actor. Yeah. And uh, the guy yeah. who... I. I don't even know his name, but the guy who was the archaeologist at the beginning of the Fifth Element is the like Einstein professor there. There's a dude who looks like Scoot McNerney in this. I think it's Tom Musgrave. He looks mm-hmm. like Scoot McNerney. Yeah. I was like shocked that wasn't Scoot McNerney. <laughs> I'm like, that's Scoot McNerney. If I know Scoot McNerney, that's yeah, Scoot McNerney. Yeah. yeah. It's almost and like I- someone dressed up Scoot in like a bad disguise. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> And also Wayne Knight in this movie is like perfect. Wayne Knight, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish we got more of him. I, I know. Like, I, w- I wanted to see that interrogation because that interrogation yeah. must have been so fucking yeah. funny. He must have been sweating bullets. I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, okay, I did it. I did it. I did it. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like if there's a bummer of Hail Caesar, it's that John Polito wasn't alive to be put in it because he would have mm, been perfect yeah. in the movie. Like, yeah. I feel like he could have been Eddie Mannix. Like this could have been John Polito lead role. (laughs) I want like five sequels of this. Cause I just, I don't know about sequels. Okay. Like I love the idea of taking modern actors and putting them in like old Hollywood. I mean, everyone has always said that like Scarlett Johansson is kind of in a different, like not shouldn't be in this era. She should, she was born too late. She should. And also like same thing about Clooney. Like he's our modern, uh, uh, Oh my God, uh, Cary Grant. Like he's our mind. Yeah, like, or, or like, I feel like the Coens, like half the reason they put him in movies is that he's the, he could, they can use him as Clark Gable in their movies. Yeah. Like, right, yes. And he like, tells a story about Clark Gable in this movie. Yeah. yeah. There's a whole, there's a whole joke about that. Um, yeah. But no, but like, you know, and also obviously Alden Eric, who wasn't like a known, at, a known at that point was also just one of those, like, oh, he was, per- would be perfect for old Hollywood. And yeah. they just used um Brolin is very much also a great like the most modern actor who I think maybe is maybe a little miscast is Jonah Hill but that's it Mm, yeah um but everyone else feels so like Tilda Swinton is perfect oh yeah like like, perfect 
yeah, like casting Tilda Sweden as, you know, Hedda Hopper basically is just like such a good idea. Um, I just, I don't know. Now I'm just, it makes you kind of think of like, okay, like what would, you know, Margot Robbie is another great example of like, I mean, Once Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood already kind of did this with Sharon Tate, but right. it's like old Hollywood, like who would you, you know, like what would be her role in an old Hollywood film or fucking, um, I don't know. Uh, Oscar Isaac maybe a little bit and, um, yeah. but Je Jessica Chastain like these like very like you know just these kind of big actresses like big personality actresses uh, that have this like look and aesthetic of a different era just like thrown in because it's like I think it you know it's pretty obvious that like Scarlett Johansson is like legitimately great in this movie and it's very comfortable in this role and it's like oh I kind of wish you would just be doing this just right like for your career yeah and it's great because like she gets to she kind of gets to do two hollywood archetypes at the same time like right you know on camera she's esther williams you know obviously this you know glamorous star and then off camera she's this tough talking like exactly you know hell raising hollywood blonde right like this like you know new, Jer new jersey or new york blonde that you know is done taking taking crap from anyone is just like you know very independent and i just i don't know i i, I just Again, that's the thing. It's everyone's having so much fun playing with right. all these different like ideas and right. aesthetics. Or like Channing Tatum as like a song and dance man is like perfect. so perfect. Yeah, because <laughs> he's also it. Also, when I when I was watching that scene, um, besides it just being a great scene of him dancing, it's also like imagine if you're Channing Tatum, you were like a you know a, an entertainment dancer. What like five, six, ten years ago before that, and now you're in a Coen Brothers movie, right? And he's like Not just 10, far no, it, long before that, but still. Yeah, and it's like just far enough removed where like watching it, you're surprised that he can do all this, even though it's like his skill set. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Obviously, like you know, you know, uh, um, uh, what was the franchise that he did? Uh, the, the dance franchise. Step what up movies. Oh, step up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, like what? Ten, ten more years before. Oh, actually, it was ten years after, directly after Step Up, he was in yeah. this. It was yeah. in 2000. That's crazy. But just like, that's such a huge win, though, because, you know, like he hasn't had like the easiest life and he's just now in like dance. He's in like an entire set piece dancing to a Coen Brothers. Like, so. yeah. That's, that has going, had to have been fucking. Going back crazy. to interviews from the time, people that were cast in this were just comfortable in their own skin because they knew exactly what movie they were in. Uh, it reminded me of like, interviews with the cast of Black Hat, which is a weird comparison, but people would get a call from the Coen brothers and just say yes. And it's like, you get a call from Michael Mann, you just say yes. That's like, whatever they want from you. Um, you know, Scarlett Johansson said that. Ray Fiennes yeah. said that. Train Tan said that. I, I think mean, Ray Fiennes. What a perfect, good. Yeah. perfect, perfect role. <laughs> I think Ray Fiennes, the, the interesting thing about Lawrence Lorenz is like, you would think he would be like, oh, well, he's been X, Y, and Z Coen Brothers, but it's like, the fact this is his first time, it's like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Lawrence Lorenz presents is just like such a perfect, stupid, like, name joke. It's like Bob Blah Blah from Arrested Development. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at his, their filmography, I'm just thinking, wow, so many of the actors they've worked with work so perfectly in this kind of, thing. like, even yeah. if you took Totoro and put him in a modern, like a like an old Hollywood film, uh, Bob Thornton, obviously. I mean, the man who wasn't there. I mean, obviously, kind of takes place in that era, but still, right. it's like mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You could easily see these as like, you know, class, like, you know, old movie stars. I just, and Brolin, this is their first time t- talking about uh, Brolin outside of Inherent Vice, that he's just perfect in this. I, I, I oh, think yeah. casting as Eddie Mannix is clearly like so suited to like being the straight man around these like colorful cast of actors that, you know, he uses the job of, as a Hollywood fixer uh, intertwined as a religious devotion where it's like, need to keep your morality in check, although you're going to be like uh, um, making these scandals going away. Or it's like, it's a contradiction uh, where you don't even know if you can last in this business yet loves the movies. At least I think he loves the movies. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of the funny thing is it you know feels like his arc is, you know, deciding not to sell out and going with his heart, even though he's not a creative yeah. role. Like he's not a filmmaker. He's not a writer. He's just like, this guy in this weird world not even like like, he's like kind of a producer (laughs) yeah 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 it's sort of the uh, it's i mean going back to barton fink it's like oh god what who's the uh the studio head and and like the the general in that in that film but he's like i can anyone can give me that barton fink feeling or it's like sort of the (laughs) idea like anyone can do what any manix does but it's sort of the fact that he's here um it it lends this certain touch to is this it no, it's not. It's not. It's not Shalhoub. No, it's it's. Uh, it's, it's, it's it, it doesn't matter. But and of course, it's really smart how they use Tilda Swinton, uh, who we've seen the praises of many times on here, that she is playing two uh, 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 gossip columnists at a time. Very fair. And, like I know the names of these gossip columnists. Just can't think of them now. Oh, it's, uh, but uh, she's playing Hedda Hopper and Hedda Hopper. Parsons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Of course, they are. Wait, and she's. It's based off two different characters. It's yeah, based well, on two different characters, but they're but they're twins here, yeah, which like, is very funny to see the payoff of the joke. Like. I th- I think like visually and like her whole demeanor is pretty much Hedda Hopper, but right. Hedda Hopper had like this very like rivalry relationship with Luella Parsons, uh, who yeah. was like the gossip columnist for the Hearst papers. Um, so that having her be these two like dueling sisters, I think is definitely sort of they even mentioned the Hearst the papers. They yeah, even mentioned yeah. that one of them is trying to. That's <laughs> yeah. and that's so great about the Coens. They like they take that idea of like, okay, but what if this is like way more fun? Okay, they're sisters, <laughs> and it's a bit it's a visual gag. Like right. they took that idea of a rivalry. One of my favorite stupid jokes in the movie is that in the end credits, Tilda Swinton as Thora Thacker and Tilda Swinton as Thessaly Thacker are like it's five fantastic. names yeah, apart. It's... I didn't get that. It's, it's so, so good. Funny. Yeah, I didn't that's see so that. Good. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> I kind of secretly think that Josh Brolin has one of the better careers in modern Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I can see it's, that, yeah. Not even mm-hmm. saying he's the, you know, like, and this is not having to do with his ability as an actor. This has nothing to do with, like, his, you know, his box office numbers. And we mean his entire career, not just the decade in Josh Brolin. Right. Yeah. I, I, like, he's worked with, what, like, you know, he's worked with Scott, Bill Noiv, um, Coen Brothers, uh, uh, probably some and, others that I'm not thinking of. And he was in The Goonies. Right. Yeah. And he's also in the most this most successful movies ever made. Right. <laughs> so it's like secretly he had and like the most successful also, movie ever made, we should say it's Wall Street Never Sleeps. You you got me. Right, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh he I guess he did work with Stone too. Yeah, yeah that's so yeah. funny. Um works with like, he doesn't, yeah. like I think he might have I think he's might have been nominated for like one Oscar or like two. He hasn't won let's, any I don't think. Let's find out. I think he was nominated for milk. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I it's knew that without looking. 
And he has no huge expectations upon him. He can do a franchise and then he can do something else anytime. He yeah, wants. he just like does he can, whatever. Yeah. Right. And like he's in Grindhouse. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. He like went from No Country Roll Men to Grindhouse. Yeah. And he's like, I'll just do two different Marvel movies. I don't care. I will, I, I'll be Cable and Thanos. Who the yeah. fuck cares? This is money. I also, and yeah. he'll like, yeah, I had fun doing that. I got yoked and got to like tell jokes. Who cares? Yeah. He's like, yeah. I, I think there's some. I, I, I don't remember exactly, but I think there's some baggage with him that I just don't want to get into. He, that is, yeah, he's uh, assault charges against Diane Lane. Right, of course. That very bad, very bad. Very bad. Um, I, it's just interesting to me, though, like we don't talk about him as having just a genuinely like great career. <laughs> right. I don't know. Like we, he's just like very disposable in, uh, in a lot of people's minds. Um, yeah. But, He's a generally great actor, but he also, oh yeah, he worked with PTA. What the fuck am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we've covered it. That was the only, yeah, that was the only I other love, time that we've covered him. Yeah. That's um, my favorite performance in that movie is him. Is, yeah. So it is, yeah. it's just really interesting how he, again, no one has any expectations. He doesn't have to do X movie next year or X movie yeah. the other year. Like no yeah. one cares. He if there's something that the Carn Brothers and PTA share in common, is that they understand that Josh Brolin, uh, uh, like Scarlett Johansson, like George Clooney, they don't belong in the 2010s. You know, they belong in any yeah. other decade. Uh, yeah, that's like inserting them in another time just like fits perfectly, considering their cadence and how they appear and how they look. It just you don't you never you never feel like they're mismatched. Yeah, uh, and in a few interviews, for, I was gonna say like I I actually gonna take back or walk back a little bit what I said about John Polito as Eddie Maddox. Like I think he could have done it generally. But I don't think John Polito could pick up George Clooney and slap him like Josh yeah. Brolin can. You can see John Polito being one of the communist writers. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a few interviews of Brolin that I saw that he's, that he's talking about doing Sicario, this, and Everest. I think Everest, then this, right afterwards. And he's like, I need to take a break <laughs> after those three things. And then, like, nothing else in 2016. And then only in the next year works with Kaczynski and is one of the firefighters and only the brave. I think that's interesting where he's just like sort of taking interesting roles, but also like working at a pace, which is comfortable. Right. Yeah. He'll do like, he'll do Avengers and Sicario and then yeah. Hail Caesar and then like only the brave, then Deadpool 2 and then Sicario. Like he doesn't, he has no real career trajectory. It looks like mm-hmm. just looking at it. It's like, there's no like huge ups or downs besides obviously after Goonies, it's kind of down and then he just kind of goes back up again. Um, like, you know, I mean, Jonah, like Jonah Hex should be a career killer. <laughs> that should kill your career. Guess what comes out that same year? True, true grit. grit, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah true grit. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and then, also then money never like, sleeps. <laughs> right. Wait, is that what he said? Yeah. Yeah, and then he has like okay, and then he has a horrible run of like Gangster Squad, Men in Black Three, Labor Day, the Old Boy remake, A Million Ways to Die in the West, Sin City, A Dame to Kill for. I think some of these things look good. I think it's a classic example of like looking good on paper. Um, but then he does and then like by Sicario. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, it, it's bizarre. Yeah, then he'll do like, you know, only the brave and then he'll just do like the event, uh, you know, Infinity War or whatever. And it's like, even whatever you think about those movies, those are the most successful movies ever made. And he's in yeah. them. And he right. plays like It's the interesting that the interview that I, that I referenced earlier, he also talks about Roger Deakins. And he's like, he hasn't, he's like, I have no words to talk about Roger Deakins. <laughs> like, he's just like, <laughs> he's like, I mean, everybody 
sort of like admires Deacons' work, but he, it, was, it was so funny where he's like, he leaves me breathless. Because right. <laughs> um, uh, uh, he was initially hesitant on taking on the role, just I think of how wiped he was from Everest. And I think there's another reason which I forgot. Uh, but him and Deacons had just done Sicario and Deacons was like, you, you're, you're perfect for this. Um, and eventually listened. I mean, I think it is one of those things where, you know, like you said, there's not really expectations on him. Like you don't say like, oh, I'm going to go see the new Josh Brolin flick. Right. But it's, you know, he's a guy who you're always just happy to see in a thing. Like, oh yeah, he's always good. He's now doing an Amazon series that I think I've heard good things about, but no one has seen. Right. You, you don't think he's a, at least I, don't, I wouldn't say Josh Brolin's a character actor. I wouldn't no. say he's a character actor, but he's like a leading man who I feel like is deployed like a character actor, if that makes sense. That's perfect. Perfectly yeah. played. And it's not even like, you know, you know, the line about like Brad Pitt or Johnny Depp, where it's like they're a character actor in a leading man's body. He's like a character actor who somehow is always the leading man. <laughs> yeah. Right. True. And even when he's not the leading man in a movie, you're, you can obviously just see a different movie, right? Like in Dune, you're like, I could, this movie could be about him. Like this mm. easily could, like he could easily be the leading man. Right. Mm. Yeah. He's like, you know, the strong general who has this very strong moral foundation is like very physically intimidating. And it's just like, you could, you could easily be like 30% more of that movie and he just isn't. You're like, oh, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting too. They, he talks about the Coen brothers. I mean, it's their third time working together, obviously. And uh, talks about them with such reverence. Um, and I think it's, right. you know, makes, it also makes sense that uh, the Coen brothers and Josh Berlin are 10 years apart. So it's almost like they have like a little bit more history and they can inform the character together. Unlike what we previously discussed with Paul Thomas Anderson, there's Brolin and PTA are the same age, right? So it's like, it's a different collaboration for the creative process and like informing, uh, you know, Bigfoot in Inherent Vice versus uh, Eddie Mannix in here. Aaron Reich though is probably the show <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. The, this, is, this is the elephant in the room, I feel like. Because <laughs> uh, for someone like you who saw this for the first time, I mean, you got to have known his scene with Lawrence Lawrence. <laughs> I knew the, yeah. uh, if it were I'm so curious. simple. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's sort of I knew that. Piece. But I, rem- well, I remember the line being way more complicated uh, in the trailer. I thought it was like something way more flowery mm-hmm. and like different, like really weird words. Uh, and it's yeah. like no it's just kind of like how they're situated together and he just was and it, it's like a very simple sentence and he just can't say it yeah um, yeah yeah and i and i'm trying to remember whose review it was in i think it might have been alonso Duraldi's. um but he was like it's that scene that happens earlier earlier on the, in the movie that i i need to remind myself that how early i was where it's like you're either on this sense of humor <laughs> right it doesn't work for you and it's kind of a test of like where it's well, even if you're not laugh, like even if you're not like rolling over on the ground laughing your fucking guts out, it's still a really entertaining scene. <laughs> yeah. Like I, yeah. right. I don't think I'm like, I mean, I, a lot of times with movies like like this, I'm not laughing, but I'm saying that's really fucking funny. No, but like too. I'll say that out loud. <laughs> yeah. Um. And but it, but even then, it's just like this is I don't know. I it's fun. I I really think people were coming into this movie were like, I want eighty percent more plot. That was like, that's the only reason I can really think of why people like were so put off by this movie. Why it has like 44% of Rotten Tomatoes yeah. uh, for like audience. It's like, you just, you needed like plot and you didn't get plot and that's fine. And, yeah. And it's been forever since we've done research on Inside Llewyn Davis, but I don't remember it being that big of an audience favorite, but it was a really, really big uh, critical hit. 
I, right. I, I know. And, and, uh, and it's also interesting too, to see it, how the follow-up will, will play into that. Yeah. And I, I love in that whole scene, how he plays it like completely seriously. Like you can tell that mm-hmm. Hobie like really wants to do a good job. And like, you can see the wheels turning in his head, <laughs> but he just like does not possess the apparatus to do like whatever it is. <laughs> Lorenz wants yeah. him to do yeah. like the mirthless chuckle I love like ha huh. order to tourist listen <laughs> and you can never tell if he knows what the word means that's my yeah, favorite right. part of the performance <laughs> when he says mirthless he's like mirthless chuckle like you don't know yeah you eat he doesn't ask but you kind of think like maybe he actually like he's not as he's not really stupid but you can't tell just how stupid he is because yeah, he's kind of yeah. stupid but he, he might know what that words mean but you just you can't tell and i love that anytime lorenz like <laughs> drops a, like a word like that um uh what was rueful is that what he said at one point right. yeah and he's like yeah, rueful, yeah. rueful. Yeah. and he's just like he says he's like repeats it and it's like it's just the kind of direction that he takes and he's like I gotta remember this. Or it's like, right. I like, like I'll find I out. Word. I, I know the word. I'll find right. out what it means later. But now I need to memorize. And um, you know, I, 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 there's just like a few moments in there where it's just like it. It, it would feel like laborious under any other uh, comedy. Uh, you know, at one point, Lawrence calls him like Doyle, or like uh, yeah, like oh yeah, we can use each other's first names or it's like, we don't have to be very formal. It's like, <laughs> that throws them off too. And, then, right. and Deacons has this one shot where it like zooms out of, um, of the set and it makes everyone look like a miniature. And, and it's like, that's pretty cool too, where it's like, it shows how tiny everyone is. Um, and now it's just like, you know, it's, it's this like very small conflict on a line reading. Yeah, like all this crew is around them. It's it's great. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, he is gag. the one who like, really figures everything out like he's the one who tells eddie you know look at the extras you know he's the one who spots the briefcase at the nightclub like you know i think that you know his backstory in the movie is like a lot of western stars from that time is like he was an actual cowboy who you know got into making westerns like there was this whole culture around like gower gulch was the neighborhood in la where they would like cowboys would go to hang out to like get picked up by movies and I think you can like see that in his characters. He just like treats this as like his job and he's like trying to like do the best job he can, even though he doesn't like really understand what a lot of the job is. He's committing so hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, and it's just like sort of that idea that not everybody can be James Dean. Right. Um, or I think it's another like sort of melancholy aspect in the film. Um, like everyone has, their specific moral code and it's like everybody has their lane of acting uh it's just like if you put someone in a place where they shouldn't be it's just like you know it's great i i think it's just like it goes for like everybody in the cast a little bit i think that's just like hobie doyle's version of that um yeah and then like when he when he uh when it's real days they talk to the wrong sister right (laughs) it's like and he just has off. no idea what's going yeah, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I, I. <laughs> and I love I the moment too when he, yeah, right. and he's like, when he's waiting for his date to the film premiere. I mean, that, that kind of like, oh wow. So it's like we're not in like a film studio. We're not like in Eddie's office. It's like he's just waiting for this for this girl, and it's like pretty sincere. 
under a lesser writer, he would fuck like Hobie Doyle would fuck up that day. Like mm-hmm. if, if the, the worst movie, he would be this bumbling idiot who doesn't know how to talk to women or whatever, or like who is you know who doesn't have like any like social capacity to be flirty or whatever. But the Coen Brothers understand that just because like you know it's like he's at the end of the day he has the heart of gold and he's just a genuinely like nice and charming person. Like yes, maybe he's he can't be in like you know a, a suit the suit and tie drama, but it's like. He's still, you know, very much, uh, he, there's a reason he became an actor and there's a reason, he be, you know, it's not like he's this social butter or like this, like, uh, how do I say this? He's not like the, like shy or anything. And he's not um, like inept. Mm-hmm. He's not like an idiot. He, I mean, he is, but like in a different way, um, right. like he, he's able to like have like a relationship with someone. So right, like, like the whole thing at the table with like the spaghetti, it's like that's fucking cute. Yeah, I love the spaghetti right, western, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this, the stuff between <laughs> the stuff between him and Carlotta Valdez, like, is maybe some of the most like earnest, you know, emotional stuff the Coens have done. I think. Like, I want more of that. I want right. more of that. In the movie. Like yeah. up there with you know, Veronica Sorrow is really Carl great. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty much straight up doing Carmen Miranda. Yeah. Um, right. And I, I, I don't know if Hobie Doyle turns into Baird Whitlock because it's like I, I think that that emotional sincerity oh, kind of makes him from keeps him from being this first person who's just like this is my craft. And it's like <laughs> yeah, he I am in the right. You never want him to become vain. And I do love, 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 love the decision when like Mannix is looking at the reels or like the dailies. And he notices <laughs> for the line, uh, uh, Hobie Doyle is like when he like the camera goes on to him, and it's like he's supposed to say if if, if it were so simple, he's like it's complicated. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a perfect now, line. Yeah, it's so perfect, but also now you can imagine the rest of that movie. You don't have to watch the rest of the movie to know what that movie is. It's like the one Lorenz Lorenz is making like you just know okay he's going to get be given the fewest amount of lines he's going to deliver them with a lot of you know like a lot of eyes and a lot of you know sultry like uh uh what's it uh what's it, uh, you know brooding he's just gonna have like it's all gonna be physical for him. um because that's where his talents lie yeah uh but no I just yeah, love, 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 love. Uh, it's such a fucking bummer that Aaron Reich isn't yeah I know. Now he's going to be it's an weird. Oppenheimer. He's going to be an Oppenheimer, yeah. but I'm also going to be an Oppenheimer. So that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, all I'm three of us have been. Right. Um, right. I think we all want Oppenheimer to be this thing that gets the ball rolling. Um, for Alden Ring? Ever, for all, yeah. And, and uh, you know, the fact that um, Solo kind of like stopped yeah, I mean, the ball from rolling. Yeah. I mean, Solo is just like such a thankless role. Like in any, yeah. like, a, like on the one hand, no, I know yeah. he's not bad in it, but it's like on the one hand, it shouldn't hand, stop like, your career from like, no, but it has. It sucks. It like sucks. It's, it's the sort of role that like any actor who does not have the charisma of a thirty-five-year-old Harrison Ford, like, yeah, you know, you can't win with it. And like it's I love Aaron Reich, but he's not that. Yeah, and like yeah. on top of that, it's like I feel like Solo is the moment where Star Wars like stopped feeling yeah. special. <laughs> well, that's what yeah. killed Star Wars. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. the funny uh, people. I mean. Kill. Okay, I, I hate when people use the word kill because I right. think it's a very right. obviously over dramatic and exaggeration for almost any kind of thing they're talking about. But it definitely <laughs> like 
it like came, it, it kneecapped them at least. Yeah, it like right. fucking it, put a bullet in their the knee. stock went down. Yeah. Right. It's right. it's the point where Star Wars became content, I think. It, yeah. yeah, and they even like and that's also when they start panicking. And that's when they're like, Oh, I guess we can't make movies anymore. No more movies. It's, it yeah. bombed. It, it didn't bombed. make oh, yeah, money. It bad. Yeah. It bad. Um, and like and Rise was such a was such a headache that yeah. But, like yeah, yeah. he's and, gonna and be Aaron Reich was in uh, Rules Don't Apply, which they still don't apply the same year, the same fall. And I think it's interesting that it's like he's in these two like big directors, like old Hollywood sort of like playing the, which I think are lead role, like second to lead roles in both pictures. And we were very eager, maybe not with Solo, but like other things around Solo, including it, to give him like lead roles and bigger projects. And then it's like, one solo didn't work. It's just like maybe you just wanted to take some time to re- reflect. I think we may find that out when Oppenheimer is out, and depending on his role size, when he's promoting, he's like, "Yeah, I did this, this, and this after solo," and I'm sure people well, are going to ask be, about that. He's going to um, be in a Disney Plus series. Oh. He's going to be in a Marvel Disney Plus series. Oh. Did we know? He's going to be in Ironheart, and no oh, one knows right. his role, and no one like. Who fucking knows? I don't even. I'm a comics fan. I don't know what the fuck you could be playing. Yeah, what? I don't know what this. Who gonna, knows? I'm gonna I don't have to ask know. you about that. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I can't. I'm not even. I'm not super yeah. familiar with her. Her in general, the uh, character, but like, I don't. I don't think mm. she has like a rogues gallery. I don't know if he's yeah. a villain. I don't. They haven't announced anything, but it's like. So in 2023, he's going to be an Elizabeth Banks comedy, which is. Who knows? Oh well, is is that the one that she's directing? Yeah, cocaine bear. Yeah, cocaine bear. Yeah, the, oh, okay. the one that's based on a true story. That actually looks kind of fun. It does. I mean, it has a great cast, but I don't. I mean, I don't know. And I, it's called I, Cocaine Bear. Right, right. <laughs> All these things are great. Uh, and but she's only directed what, like, Pitch Perfect. Oh, she directed Charlie, the Charlie's Angels. Angels. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I didn't hear was amazing, but uh-huh. who knows? One more thing about Aaron Reich. Uh, before we started, I was talking about how he was cast only a month after this came out in the u.s as solo which is super interesting because mm. there are interviews like as this was coming out like hey do you have any projects like you know that you're working on right now and he's like um oh you know like i just finished up this uh, iraq war drama and he's like not even addressing solo which i think maybe at the time when he was promoting this maybe it was between like him taron egerton miles teller um right you know the people that like are pretty known uh but the movie that he's referencing, for those that don't remember, it's Yellow Birds, which like no one saw. Um, but it's like the solo news was right around the corner, which is like, it's kind of crazy. He was like, oh yeah, this is like a movie star. This is going to be yeah. the next big thing. I mean, yeah. Like, and people took of note funny... of him. Like, yeah, yeah it's, sorry, go it, ahead. It's kind of a funny like life imitating art. Like you have this up and coming movie star suddenly mm-hmm. placed in this thing where he's completely over his head. Yeah, yeah. Like that's kind of wild that. He got Hobie Doyled. He got Hobie Doyled. No, and, and people like took note of him. And I, re- I think really responded to like when he was Cape Lynchett's son in, in uh, Blue Jasmine, I believe, and Stoker in the late period Francis Coppola movies like Tutorial and Twixt. And, um, you know, filmmakers respected him, critics respected him. I, like, it's weird that he just like stopped because you can see the momentum building to something really big and like, it's just, I think it's strange. It's cool that he's going to like have a resurgence uh, in a few years or right now. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just like something where the breaks 
um, where the breaks happened. And then like, you just, Solo was just unfortunate. It was unfortunate. Yeah. 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 There, yeah, there was a no win. It's crazy because it's like, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't, I, I forget, I forget the consensus opinion or whatever. It's like, he is nowhere near the worst part of that fucking movie. Like, he is, that that movie belong. that movie is like, you know, downfall is solely on the feet of fucking Ron Howard and yeah. Lucasfilm as a whole. Like, yeah. like, imagine, I'm just saying like, I don't know, Lauren Miller, I mean, if they stay on, does Aaron Reich actually have a career? Unless it was like really good, I feel like right, it's a no win situation. And like, I don't even like I saw it when it came out, but I remember so little about that movie. I, yeah. I do too, and I'm a nerd for that shit, and I still don't remember much of that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, but I do remember like I'm just, like the more I've also like thought about like just I don't know. It's like he was fine. I don't right. I, it really it like, wasn't but, like, a, no uh, yeah it's like you're saying like it wasn't enough to just like stop a career that looked very promising yeah it should I mean, be. I seems it like it yeah, I wonder yeah. if it yeah. just like took it out of him like, yeah 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 it's one like, of those I, things I, I well, yeah because to be the lead actor in that mm, yeah right but, but also like, yeah, yeah and also like, like think about twice right right exactly that's what I, yeah exactly they had a completely different direction they had to take on a whole new director he had to take yeah. on this whole new approach to the film yeah, like and yeah if I, that must if have i been was awful. the guy who had to be in every scene of that like i right. want to take a few years off yeah too. well I, but now he, but then he's like okay let me try to work with them again it's like wait no what are you doing don't work <laughs> with disney again <laughs> i know you just got out stop yeah. but I, I but but it's one of those things like and i've talked to some people about this um like where it's like at this point they have if they want to build back their career, they have like five options. And one of that is fucking Marvel or whatever. It's like, yeah. 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 If that, whatever, he's going to be on a TV show that no one watches. So maybe that, maybe that, like, yeah, maybe it propels them. Yeah. I don't know. Oppenheimer, though, is probably fascinating. Yeah. But then again, it's one of those, you, see, like, you don't know the size like, of the role. Yeah. How are you going to break out of this? Like, fucking mm-hmm. many Safdies in that, right? Yeah. 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 It's like, fucking, yeah. Josh Hartnett, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, like we know from Hale Caesar that he can stand out in an ensemble. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Um, I, I hope he just plays Toby Doyle in it. <laughs> that would be so funny. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> is Hold he on, rich? just one second. Is he I rich? No, British. Oh, British. Uh, no, he's not. He's he's from LA. Okay. Which isn't British. I couldn't have called it. Yeah, I like, um, it's one of those. He's one of those guys where I'm like, who could be from anywhere? I don't know. Yeah, the thing about Aaron Reich is he seems like such a sweetheart from interviews. Um, I think is he's just like you know, I love movies. It's <laughs> like yeah, that's so cool. And I don't know. It's like no, I, I just there's nothing about him that seems like wow, you're yeah. like really intense. He just seems like very relaxed and like comfortable. Um, yeah, and he's just I don't know, it, it, and he gets on like quoting francis for coppola and it's like the, the fact that you were given these opportunities early on to like use as learning lessons which is like you know I, I just i really it sucks it sucks to like see this thing like gives and all the reviews recognized him at the time too it wasn't like we we learned we uh started to appreciate him in retrospect he's 32 he does not look yeah 32. he looks yeah. like 25 if young, or like maybe younger mm um he's 32 now or he was 32 no, he's, he's 32, 32 now, now. Oh, okay 
um it'd be crazy if he was like 35 now yeah um i so who else so we've talked about i think all the other like main performances i mean i i guess apart from francis mcdormand but of course yeah perfect perfect yeah perfect role <laughs> like everything about that role is perfect i mean like what they put her in the size reverse of it. reverse yeah the oh, way they shoot God. her like it's really a cameo it feels like it is yeah, I mean, yeah yeah but it, it's one of those things where i don't know it's like it's so perfect but i don't necessarily know how you have that idea francis mcdormand film projectionist we got it perfect <laughs> yeah That's she's it. the editor yeah or editor you know but still it's like who and maybe it's more of like a person that like maybe if you're close to her you can just see that immediately but i don't know like would you think of that role for her like just off the top like what how can we put francis in that oh the film editor i mean i i guess i can see that like maybe going the reverse because like you know at the time and even to still to some extent today there were a lot of female editors um right I think it was sort of thought of as women's work because like it's you know behind the scenes like doing all that stuff. So I guess if you're thinking like who's going to play this like yeah maybe you have, they had they probably had like, the editor first and then they're yeah, like oh I guess we could put Francis there yeah as this like weird woman who like doesn't see the light of day very often. Right. <laughs> that yeah, works. Cloud of smoke. Yeah. Over. yeah. <laughs> she just yeah she is like she could easily be a recluse and I people would be like yeah like, no yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, she just has, she's also just a great actress. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Has she ever been nominated for an Oscar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, wait, how many, wait, how many does Joel have and how many does she have? She uh, three, Joel won screenplay for Fargo, No Country, No Country for Picture, uh, Director. Director, yeah three right. four that's it right just screenplay for fargo i think that's it yeah, yeah so that's, I think that's it. Yeah. four to three four to three yeah yeah <laughs> in the lead yeah i wonder i don't know if anyone has this stat but that must or be well like... well did uh francis win one for producing nomadland oh she might oh, so they oh might well they're yeah. tied are they tied wow yeah <laughs> wow <But> now <laughs> i just imagine them just looking at each other like they worked on Macbeth together and I'm mm-hmm. just I don't know if they thought it was gonna win an Oscar but they're just like I'm gonna out actor directly <laughs> yeah don't you fucking I yeah. got this yeah. the question no. is is if Roderick James ever wins an Oscar does that oh count gosh. towards Joel's well you know Roderick James like if they had won editing for Fargo they would have sent John Turturro up to accept with a disguise on <laughs> that would have been perfect yeah that would have been great I love in uh, Macbeth, the editing is credited to Reginald James. What do we think of Macbeth? I like that movie. I yeah, like it's good. it too. Yeah. 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 Denzel is so fucking good at that movie. Yeah. yeah. That's the, it's to... like a different Denzel mode than we've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. I need to see it again. I saw it at NYFF when it premiered, mm. but I haven't oh, cool. seen it since. I need to read read it again and then watch it again. Yeah. It was one of those yeah. things where I'm like, I got I kind of forgot all this shit. The consensus, like, the consensus was like, oh well, you know, the story is right there, and it's like the the actors are just like like performing it for us, and there's no like you know original mm. concept. It's like, but what are they supposed to do? It's McBathy. <laughs> we know what this is about, and right. And like, I think uh, it's just cool to see Joel Cohen do something that we haven't seen him do yeah. before. Yeah. Like, you know, if you need to set yourself 
on a different path after you know splitting from the team like that's a pretty bold way to do it mm -hmm. it was weird how we all reacted to that we were all it was kind of low like i don't know was it this i don't remember it being this great day of mourning we were all kind of like yeah i guess that's like kind of the natural progression i don't think everyone i don't think like people were super bummed out or am mm -hmm. i misremembering things no i i i think that sounds about right it's I think it's a weird thing where it wasn't all that um, ceremonious be because, or like on Samrounds, like Buster Scruggs was kind of a muted response as well. And because they didn't come off, come off of anything too spectacular or masterful, I think it was just kind of like, oh, okay, well then, if that's what I want to do. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like there, at least, you know, publicly was any sort of big blowout. Like, and it's probably because, you know, because there are brothers it's tough to really think of it as a permanent thing like until one of them dies basically like right right that's my that's my thing is like right. i don't know if this will last i just think it's like it doesn't seem like there's real animosity like it's not like you know a gallagher brothers thing like mm -hmm. you know as far as anyone knows like again they're very private so it could they could be fuming at each other but and now Caliker brothers thing. they're just silent <laughs> they're just silently staring at each other with like so much hatred in their eyes but they don't say a word yeah um i it's interesting it's like i guess it's also because they work with each other for so long i think most people yeah. are like that's fair you know it's like yeah how long do you want to work with the same person i mean even if your brother's like at some point you're just kind of like yeah okay it is what it is we had our fun had a good run yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like the Wachowskis, it's, you know, they- Yeah, good worked, comparison. Yeah, they worked right. a little, like, they started in the 90s. When was Bound? That was 96. 90s, like, yeah. 96. And so, and when was Blood Simple? 84. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah. So, it's one of those, you know, it's- I hope I'm right. If it's, if it's more, if it's, like, decades, you know, it's, like, yeah, I think you're allowed to just stop. I think you're allowed to make a different decision and go on yeah. a different career path. Yeah. Um, I know this is, I can't believe I'm making this comparison, but what if like Jesus uh, and Mero, when like everyone on like Twitter and every, like everyone started crying and like, no, 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 no. It's like, I think that makes a little more sense because it's like, it feels like, oh, you know, they just started, like, you know, it, it's been, it's so young. We've only like really worked with each other for like maybe less than 10 years. Um, so it's like you know, us, and it's like they think they started like 2016, 2017. So it, it is one of those things where you feel like maybe it didn't reach that natural end. When it's like, you know, when it's Wachowskis, when it's the Coens, it's like they've worked with each other for decades. They've made so many different projects with each other, probably been at each other's throats for the entirety of it. Mm. Just because of the natural way people work together and how close you are to a very stressful project, it's like I'm, you're almost surprised that it, has, it wasn't, you know, done longer, longer ago. 35 years and making several of the best movies ever made. Like. Right. It's like, and how hard is it to make a fucking movie? Imagine doing it with the same person over and over again. Like, I don't know how you don't yeah. just kill each other. Yeah, like making some of the best movies ever, like, <laughs> consistently. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think. Like, it's, like, there really aren't that many comparable directing teams, no. you know, like, mm. Like there's Powell and Pressburger, obviously, and then like, you know, more recently like the Daniels, I guess. But you know, in yeah, his, the Daniels like, have made like three movies. Yeah, yeah, or two. Yeah, two. two movies and turned down for what? Yeah, um, yeah, and like a 
Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck come to mind, like, but they're like partnership. Yeah. Also, Disney also killed them too. Yeah. Yeah, but like you know pre you know pre coen brothers i really you know apart from powell and pressburger i can't really think of very many at all teams that are just consistently making movies like as a unit they might yeah they might have like the most volume yeah i mean there's like you know director actor combinations oh the dardens i just realized yeah. yeah yeah And I guess, you know, Caro and Junet for that stretch, but they're, yeah. that's, you know, not really as long for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, hey, I, you know, Buster Scruggs, I like. Um, we'll, again, we'll talk about it at some point. Yeah, we'll talk um, about it, I'm will, sure. Yeah. I will spend five hours talking about Tom Waits' performance in that movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Pocket, Mr. Pocket. Um, <laughs> God, that's, I think that might be my, if that was just the movie that his his um, section of it, that would be like my one of my favorites they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and you know, I think it's that so idea good. that I've heard applied to this one as well. But I think that criticism makes more sense if you're like, I want them to just choose one of these sections in Buster mm-hmm. Scruggs. But I think this one makes a lot more sense as a whole. Way more me. sense. Yeah. The, um, Hail Caesar is like perfect. some. Like I, some yeah. rev- there was a review that that was like, I wish we had a whole like, um, like, oh, who was it? Um, Deanna Moran. Like, I hope we mm. had a whole movie about her. Where it's like, I just think I that mean, I, her, I really, say no yeah, that, I would love but, to, but right. I think it's just like her, her issues are in check because of Eddie Mannix and right. her, you know, her, her, she always comes to him and it's like, like I don't think she'll have a, well, she'll have a clean career without eddie I, I mean eddie is like the morality of of this of capital pictures right so yeah i mean because of they they see him he as he's a priest every day yeah yeah the last confession was 27 hours yeah. it's so funny the for i think the first one but i love how that scene through. is lit like the, the right. light coming through the, but the priest crazy. is like it's so late my son it's like one of those <laughs> yeah. things where you usually don't hear a priest fed up but you're like jesus yeah. fucking christ you have to yeah, that's the first here. thing we hear too is this fed up priest that's so funny. yeah every i mean i mean rematch a serious man it reminds me of of when the receptionist comes back to larry gottnick's son and she's like the rabbi is busy <laughs> like the rabbi when is the rabbi busy <laughs> i mean i um, think the only one in this movie that i can kind of see you know as the lead is probably hobie but right. i feel like everyone else kind of works best as a supporting character to this whole to eddie and this whole world yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Because and, and i think yeah we only wish that with hobie doyle because like aaron Mike is so fucking good <laughs> that's true yeah. but even then it's like i think you know, with like Dan Moran or, you know, Scar- ScarJo's character, it's like, at some point that's going to wear on you. The whole I mean, that's thing, they're all doing a shtick. And if the entire, if their entire shtick is the movie, like that's going to, it's going to become a little greater. Uh, even maybe a little bit with Kobe Doyle too. It's like, if we're just doing this sincere cowboy for two hours. Same thing with Cheney right. teams, Bert, Bert, uh, Bert Gurney, you know. Right. Even though, yeah, like it, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things where, I think the I think the difference between Buster Scruggs is because it's like one they're all different plot lines as in like they're completely unrelated to each other and they're going on different tracks and mm-hmm. you can easily see a movie like you can easily because they're all these like little mini movies so they have you can easily see a movie version of that section with this yeah. it's like I don't I don't see a fucking uh, Hobie Doyle movie really I don't really right. see a Dan, Dan, um, 
uh, I was, I already forgot her name. Deanna Moore. Um, Deanna Moore. And I don't really see her movie. Like what? Yeah. Is it just about the kid? Like it, they don't even posture themselves as leading actors or leading characters in general. So I don't really understand that criticism. Yeah. Well, I can I understand want... the frustration with it, but I don't understand the idea of like, you know, sure. pick one. What I would love is if they just made those movies, like if yeah. they made, you know, Hail Caesar and they made Merrily We right. Dance. Right. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't lie though, but the entire synchronized swimming scene, I was only thinking about Muppets, uh, Muppets, uh, the Great Muppet Caper. It's the only thing mm. I was thinking about. Mm. actually that's another thing that i did want to mention before you know before it's too late is the the swim the swimming scene is interesting to me because it's you know obviously a play on esther williams and the water ballets but those are all you know choreographed by busby berkeley and by my count this is the third busby berkeley homage that the codes have done like there's Mm -hmm. the dream sequence in big lebowski and then there's the clan rally in Oh Brother Where Art Thou is also sort of a Berkeley thing. And it's interesting to me to think of him as an influence on the Coen brothers, because it's not really obvious. Like, mm. you know, obviously you think of like Preston Sturgis or Howard Hawks or whoever, but yeah. like I've, I've watched a bunch of Busby Berkeley stuff on like PCM lately, and I can see where they would draw inspiration from him because he's fucking weird. Like, you know, it's not like, you know, a musical number where like people are singing their feelings. It's just like 15 minutes of disembodied legs. Yeah, he's not Stanley Donan. Right. Or Vincent Minnelli. Yeah, it's right. Like a very specific and, kind of uh, broad comedy. Right. And it feels like this very like, you know, kind of cerebral, uh, you know, version of a musical number that I can see where the Coens would take inspiration mm. from that. It's, I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, even though you don't see like, you know, you don't really, you can't really compare Bust, uh, you know, Buster uh, Berkeley's career with the Coens. It's like there's something in basketball, and of course, I'm making a basketball reference uh, while talking about films. It's very on brand. I understand. It's like sometimes people are just students of the game, as in, like you'll see the least this, basketball like, movie too. So. Right, like very yeah, this is anti-basketball. Um, you'll see like a point guard have this post move or this hesitation dribble that's like like that's like that feels like right out of um uh like a 20 years ago from a player who did that same exact move but in a completely different era and body where you're just like you take that little you you just you you know you know the game you memorize it you study it you live it and that you just take those little moments you just take those things and you incorporate them in your own filmmaking or your own you know uh, basketball uh, player, or as a you know, as your own, uh, it's like a arsenal, so to speak. It's like I, I think I, I think I made the utility belt uh, reference earlier, like before we started recording. But it is a utility belt. It's something you have that you can just pull out when you want to. Um, and yeah, and it, it it might be more homage than them utilizing it at from their own from their uh, own perspective, but. I don't know. Like sometimes I think homage and using it as your own tool can be the same as in like, yes, you're paying respect, but you're also using it at, for your own goals. Like it's not, it's not surely to dedicate, like you're not, you're not taking this portion of the movie just to be like, isn't Berkeley great guys? Like they're doing it just to achieve a certain 
out, like to achieve uh, to uh, reach this goal that they have set. Uh, what for the scene or for the set piece? Um, I think the big inspiration for the Coen Brothers, like Oscar mentioned, it's always going to be Preston Sturges, which people always will think to connect those two. They're not like Preston Sturges copycats. No, They're always right. going to be the Coen Brothers, and they know how to use influences so well that they make that. That's just like they're always going to be the Coen Brothers, right? Um, you know the they're one of those filmmakers who just like keep on making the same movie, right? There's, there's a moral, there's a moral dilemma. Uh, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of money that needs to be paid. Um, there's buffoons, there's, there's uh, criminal a idiots. There's, um, you know, religion is in question sometimes, you know, it's, that it's just scene like, is so fucking oh, God damn it. That's, all of the you know, priests and rabbis. What's your yeah. rabbi? Or like, what do you think, rabbi? I have no opinion. It's, <laughs> You know, I was trying to not talk about it because I may bring it up later. Um, oh, okay. All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I found on IMDb trivia, take it for how you will, they were trying to cast Norman Lloyd, the hundred-year-old actor who's worked with like <laughs> Hitchcock and Chaplin uh, as uh, Herbert Merskews, uh, one of the commies writers. <laughs> and, oh, and they were trying to get him, but they realized we were going to put a hundred-year-old man on a rocking boat. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they, they pulled back, but that would have been so cool if they got it. Been so, that would have been so fucking funny. Like <laughs> on the water. <laughs> uh, what do we think about that reveal when, when Bert is secretly working with the communist? I don't know. It was one of those things where, uh, like, it was. A, I, I was shocked. I didn't predict yeah. that. Um, but it also is just. I mean. I, I, how many lines does Channing have that is not singing? Like two? Yeah. yeah He's like, beautiful. hi, Mr. Mannix. Yeah. yeah. That's one of those. And then, like, yeah. Collins understand when to give people lines and when not. To. Yeah. I think they use, like, they use silence know, incredibly well. It's like, right. And they know what, who, what actors perform exceptionally well under the, mm-hmm. per, like, physical presence, as in just pure physicality through their mood to tell a story. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, like the fucking him at the edge of the boat with that dog is so fucking funny. I love that. It's and his hair is just like, and he's wearing like a turtleneck, and it's very, it's all very funny. But I, yeah. I, I do want to shout out that they don't make like you know the com like, uh, the, Joel and Ethan are like, oh, he's communist. They kind of have a point. All right, let's yeah. move on. Like let's yeah. just like they didn't like they didn't like they weren't like they're evil or you know they you know work for. They're trying to take over the West or whatever. It's like, nah, they're kind of like writers who got fucked over and they kind of, they adopted this idea that maybe it's kind of not, or it's kind of an antithesis to being fucked over by the mm-hmm. man, quote, yeah. quote unquote. I, mean, I, I feel like there's probably some of their own frustrations written into those scenes. Yeah. Well, um, like you said with Barton Fink, it's like that all, that entire movie is like the script, you know, um, takes place in the perspective of the screenwriter, so yeah and also those scenes just feel like you know again like their idea of eddie mannix it feels like this like comic book conclusion to like the whole mccarthy idea that these like this cabal of you know leftist screenwriters is trying to take over hollywood and i love that they like a try to imagine what it would actually be like if this group of like cantankerous screenwriters like got together to try to overthrow hollywood and then they like build it to this ridiculous like literal version where they're sailing out to the literal Russian submarine to hand over the money. 
like it's one of those things that like you know it was this political bugbear for so long and then you just think about it in these very literal terms and it just becomes this very very funny like comic book version um, yeah. and i can imagine them just like imagining this version of events reading about like the hollywood 12 or whatever yeah yeah it's it's them acknowledging the blacklist but not villainizing them and i think that they have a certain amount of empathy or or um or respect for them because oh, of yeah, their for sure. their time as a screenwriter right it, they almost i mean their filmmaking is so, is so exquisite and always has been um but they're such meticulous screenwriters and influential screenwriters that it's like the fact that they look at the blacklist and see them not as um as people who are who are too radical for their time but ostracized for something that they, that they never meant to do and it's it's uh challenging to eddie mannix's way of running the circus known as capital pictures right. um and those two opposing forces are very interesting um and if we want to get really really out there bringing it back to barton fink i guess that there is a theory that an older barton fink is in the communist household i was gonna say like you could if imagine you guys had heard this yeah i think yeah. this is pretty popular uh it's strange <laughs> I don't think like, why? I do, I do know that like maybe 10 years ago they were talking about doing an actual Barton Fink se- sequel yeah, and calling it yeah. Old Fink. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And it's just going to be this like aging radical in the 70s or whatever. <laughs> oh, gosh. You can totally see Totoro doing that now. Yeah, but I think sure. my thing is like if you cast Totoro or if you cast Barton Fink, as a part of the communist writers' room, why not just cast a Toro? Right, um, right. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's just yeah, yeah. If, if we don't know, it's like the the person who's like uh, has the mustache and like a cup of tea, I think, and and you know, it's it, but I forget the actor. Um, yeah. yeah, I kind of feel like if you had Barton Fink in that room, though, it would like overpower the. That's true. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't know if Barton Fink would be a joiner anyway. Yeah, I wonder what Joel, you know, we obviously know what Ethan's doing and we know what Joel did. I wonder what, is there, is he planning something else? I don't know. It's like, I haven't heard. You just want to take a break. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they get back together. I mean, at some point, it's like, why? Yeah. That's a really good comp with the Wachowskis. It's like you've done, all you can do as a collaborator. And now it's like, maybe there's one of these different things. I can also see the Wachowskis getting back this just because, like, you know, they've had some ups and downs and they're, you know, and I bet they have more to say. When the Coens, I'm not saying they don't have more to say, but I'm just saying, I feel like they've reached their highest potential working together. Yeah. Like, I can't see they're like, man, we didn't do X. And it's like, you guys made banger after banger after banger. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Um, it's tough to imagine them doing something better than Fargo at this stage in their career. But at the same time, it's also hard to imagine them doing like, a real stinker at this stage of their yeah. career either right and i do wonder if they'll make i mean let's say they get back together do they make something as as much of a populist achievement as no country because like no country was like so big from right. what i heard and yeah. um i think it's interesting because like they seem to be on this much more provocative contemplative mode that leaves audiences just polarized. Yeah. I don't think that'll change if they get back together, but. Yeah. No yeah. Country was so funny. Like I saw that, I saw it twice. Like I saw it just before 
it got nominated for the Oscars. And by that time, it was just, you know, playing in the screening room at the Coolidge Corner Theater, which is like 45 seats. And then it got nominated. And I saw it the next, like, the weekend after that. And it was like a packed house from all these people who just heard about it. Oh, wow. And I remember the guy behind us, every time something bad happened, he went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Which, you know, is at least once per scene. Yeah. (laughs) We need that guy in more theaters. I need a a guy in my movie. Like, uh-oh. we need I love that guy on Nope. Yeah, I was gonna say that that would be perfect. You just see that fucking thing in the sky, like, uh oh, and it's like, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. That is an uh oh. Uh oh is correct. Good job. Yeah. I guess you know, you have people like screaming, like, don't go in there. And it's like, that's it. You know, been there, done that. I need yeah. the uh oh guy. <laughs> uh oh, he has a point. Uh, is there anything else we want to say? Yeah, what do we think? Favorite scene? scene? Any other? I think we've covered everything. Yeah, I think so. They took everything. <laughs> um, Great fucking movie. I'm really, yeah. I'm just really, yeah. I'm, you know, I was perplexed I while watching. I was perplexed while watching it, just because in the sense of like, do people really just not? It's one of those things that like, this is a Coen Brothers movie. What I was, just go back to that release date. Like, why, why February? Like, I, yeah, I just think it's. A, I, guess, I mean, it, where else would you put it? I understand, I guess, but it's. Um, I, I kind of. And I, I kind of wrote a, like a mini kind of statement, like my, I'm, I'm almost like a mini manifesto, at, you know, as a my letterbox review in the sense of, I basically was just like, more plot does not equal a better movie. Less mm. plot does not equal a worse movie. I want to shout that into everyone's fucking ear sometimes. Not everyone, but like, I, I just, cause that's like, I, that has to, because, you know, it's, I, I read some of the criticisms, like, you know, it's just so, you know it just meanders has no focus it, you know, it's like it just kind of yeah and it's like i i get but are you just do you just want like a plot like that's one of the things like you just need like a very strict like a to b plot to just i don't know it's like this isn't confusing this isn't too complicated uh i understood what was going on i'm not saying i'm smarter than people but i'm just saying i think people if the moment you kind of take away some structure they revolt yeah, um, yeah, and I think that can be really limiting to your uh, uh, appetite, not appetite, but limiting to your movie watching. You know, limiting yeah. to your taste of art. I think. Yeah, I mean, this last watch, uh, you know, I rewatched it last night, and my wife had the comment that you know it's kind of a hangout movie. Like, right? I feel like I rewatched, you know, to spend time with like you know Kobe Doyle and Deanna Moran, mm. or you know, it, you know it stuff happens but it's not like a plot like you think of yeah but like when tarantino makes the hangout movie people lose like oh it's incredible it's great right and i love that movie but it is just an interesting kind of like so what's with so hail so like do you not like the coens because it's it's one of those things where i'm just like that's all of their sensibilities they weren't right right it almost feels like they people thought it was some this drastic departure from them and it's like it's literally them to a T. They're just playing around yeah. with old Hollywood stuff. Like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. People yeah. call Who's Big Lebowski a hangout movie, and I just don't know how that's much different. Other yeah. than I guess this is like a little bit. It's a little bit more of a careful pace because I think it's just like, you know, as we discussed so much late period work from from. From our tours, I think it's just like something. Maybe there's just a disconnect take. between yeah. that era and people, yeah, like yeah. that, like era of Hollywood and that era of comedy. Like, I maybe they just don't. Maybe people just don't really get the 
the things they're playing on. But mm. I don't know. I feel like people are smarter than that. It's funny you say that. And I saw that this movie was originally to be in the 20s. So like imagine the reaction if this wasn't wow. if this was 1921, not 1951. Like I could see that. They yeah. Yeah, I could definitely see them trying to make like a silent Hollywood era. Like, yeah, I would love to see that. And I would go, you know, be better than the artist, am I right? Mm-hmm. Hey, oh, mm-hmm. there you go. That's a reference. Yeah, the <laughs> artist more like, no, thank yeah. you. More <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the fartest. Hey, oh, yeah, mm. wait, who, who was, was that? Who told that joke at the like this? What was? Never mind. I don't know. Isn't that, it felt like that was from Family Guy or something, but I don't know. Oh, was it? Oh. No, I don't. No, Brian Posehn. Ah. The stand-up comedian Brian Posehn. I think he has a stand-up album called The Fartest. I think oh. yeah. Interesting. I'm telling you, man. I just have a oh, weird I must have heard it from somewhere and I didn't know. Um, Random Amazon. No, I mean, it, it's not a hard joke to make. It's like, you know, it's that's like, that's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah. You, you what do I say about the movie? Just put an F I like Brian Posehn, yeah. but he wasn't like brilliant for that joke. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am um, full of weird, you know, weird stand up comedy, canceled Amazon television shows, yeah. random basketball references. <laughs> this is what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. Is, don't you, that, that's one of those movies that you're like, oh, we've covered that. <laughs> oh, right. The artist. Yeah. I mean, yeah. hey, that's, that was Eric Zipper's first episode. And so Listen, I like yeah. it. Yeah. Anything that Eric is part of, we love, would we, like serious to man. <laughs> would, would we like to get the favorite scene? I think mm-hmm. we're good. We're all good. I think I have one. Yeah, please. It is when after Hobie sees this briefcase, uh, I literally, the moment I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's my favorite scene. As he sees the briefcase, he's following Jane Tatum and he's in the car and then there's the dissolve that kind of goes back and forth between like, um, like, you know, like, it cut, you know, it has a close up on his face and it dissolves into uh, like, you know, a longer shot. And it, you know, you see all like Hollywood lights just kind of going behind him and it's so fucking gorgeous. It's so good. I love, and I think, the, you know, the, the score is kind of interacting at that moment and it all just feels really just, yeah the great score uh, from Carter Burwell who, they're like, in who composes all their music yeah. they're just yeah. in their zone you know everyone everything's firing on all cylinders it's also like really kind of like the not the peak of the movie but you're getting to like the end and it's just it's all just smooth sailing right there yeah and just I I just was that one dissolve just made me so happy I'd like to know what the hell is going on here uh well like I said we we just saw lazy old moon and and, and, uh, and Hobby and I are fixing to be friendly. What? We're just friends, my foot. What's the matter, Colby? I got a scud. I had a so sorry. Oh, I have to catch one of your pictures next time. I'm looking forward to it. Fine, Colby. Hey, toss me them keys, part. I'm taking the car.
Hobie Doyle, you're a communist too? It feels like it's building some momentum and like right. we're actually like on a chase and like, you know, we're going somewhere outside of like uh, the studio lots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and also we forgot to mention, I think these are actually shot in the old studio lots, whatever ones remained. Like that's pretty cool that they actually got that's that awesome. opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me. Yeah. The uh, uh, Eddie Mannix talking to the religious figures, the clergy the rabbis. Fantastic. It feels like something that a meeting like this right now, I mean, right. you know, the historical accuracy is like an ongoing conversation in, in, uh, in one that may be worthwhile or worthless, I think, depending on the project, depending on the filmmaker. Um, but for Eddie Mannix, it really just feels like something to please um, Barry Britlock and, and, the, and the crew there rather than actually like paying respect to the material. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, he's just looking out for the people that that uh, he's looking to look out for, right? Right. It's so I, fucking funny. Yeah. Like the the, the banter and the editing. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. My favorite line of that is when he says, "Like, does anyone have any objections?" And the Orthodox <laughs> priest is like, "I don't know about the chariot race. How they could jump from one chariot to the other." <laughs> so good. Yeah, and he's like, "We'll we'll talk about that later." <laughs> it's just yeah. like, uh, and he has this reaction. He's like. Okay. <laughs> I love Brill in that scene too because he's just like, you know, like he's so, I don't know, I think that's when he's his most old Hollywood. He's like, all right, gentlemen, we're trying to figure out how yeah. the, you know, the pictures are yeah. everything we need. You know, people are going to remember the Bible from this picture and that's how they're going to contextualize everything. And, <laughs> you know, this is what America found, you know, uh, you know, relies on us for. And, you know, so is there anything any sensible American could be offended by? this picture and it's so like i don't know it, it's all again it's all the things it's, it's all the like tools and little jokes and aesthetics of old hollywood that is just really like again it's all there gentlemen thank you all for coming i know you have parishes flocks and temples making enormous demands on your time but i'm sure you appreciate also the great masses of humanity look to pictures for information and uplift and yes entertainment now here at capital pictures as you know an army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen the story of the Christ. It's a swell story, a story told before, yes, but we'd like to flatter ourselves that it's never been told with this kind of distinction and panache. Perhaps, sir, you forget it's telling in the Holy Bible. Quite right, Patriarch. The Bible, of course, is terrific, but for millions of people, pictures will be their reference point for the story. The story's embodiment. The story's, uh... Realization. Realization. You realize, of course, that for we Jews, any visual depiction of the Godhead is most strictly prohibited. Oh. But of course for us, the man Jesus Nazarene is not God. Aha. Uh -huh. Who plays Christ? Uh, a kid we're all very excited about. Todd Hockheiser, wonderful young actor we found in Akron, Ohio, in a nationwide talent hunt. But Hockheiser is seen only fleetingly and with extreme taste. Our story is told through the eyes of a Roman tribune, Autolycus Antoninus. Ordinary man, skeptical at first, but who comes to a grudging respect for this swell figure from the East. And Autolycus is played by Baird Whitlock. Oh my. Well, he is certainly a great talent. Now, Hail Caesar is a prestige picture. 
our biggest release of the year, and we're devoting huge resources to its production in order to make it first class in every respect. Gentlemen, given its enormous expense, we don't want to send it to market except in the certainty that it will not offend any reasonable American regardless of faith or creed. Now, that's where you come in. You've read the script. I want to know if the theological elements of the story are up to snuff. I thought the chariot scene was faking. How is he going to jump from one chariot to the other going full speed? Uh-huh. Well, we can look at that. But as for the religious aspect, does the depiction of Christ Jesus cut the mustard? Well, the nature of Christ is not quite as simple as your photoplay would have it. How so, Father? It's not the case simply that Christ is God or God Christ. You could say that again. The Nazarene was not God. He was not, not God. He was a man. Part God. No, sir. Rabbi, all of us have a little bit of God in us, don't we? Well, it's the foundation of our belief that Christ is most properly referred to as the Son of God. It's the Son of God who takes the sins of the world upon himself so that the rest of God's children, we imperfect beings, through faith, may enter the kingdom of heaven. So God is split? Yes. And no. There is unity in division. And division in unity. I'm not sure I follow, Padre. Young man, you don't follow for a very simple reason. These men are screwballs. God has children. What? And a dog? A collie, maybe? God doesn't have children. He's a bachelor and very angry. No, no, he used to be angry. Why, he got over it? You worship the God of another age. Who has no love. Not true. He likes Jews. God loves everyone. God is love. God is who is. This is special. Who isn't who is? But how should God be rendered in a motion picture? God isn't in the motion picture. Then who is Todd Hawkeye? Gentlemen, maybe we're biting off more than we can chew. We don't need to agree on the nature of the deity here. If we could focus on the Christ, whatever his parentage. My question is, is our depiction fair? I have seen worse. Reverend? There's nothing to offend a reasonable man. Father? Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited tastefulness in class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? And what do you think, Rabbi? Yeah. I have an opinion. How'd we do? I don't. Fine. What's up? I guess for me, like, the obvious instinct is to say, would that it were so simple? Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's like saying that Curly's your favorite stooge. Like, of course, your favorite scene is would that it were so simple. So apart from that, I like this past time around, the thing that really struck me was like the last scene between Eddie and Baird, where, mm -hmm. you know, first, you know, Baird says like, well, well these screenwriters have a point there, da, 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 da. And then he just like smacks the shit out of them and just gives him this pep talk. And I love that because like, A, it's ridiculous, but B, like it does feel genuine, I think. Like, you know, I think especially the last line where he says like, the picture has worth and you have worth if you serve the picture. And like- Now go out know, there and be a star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like- <laughs> Remember like, your purpose, remember right. your- And it's worth, like a yeah. genuinely rousing scene and like a defense of the movies. Um, and then also, you know, you know, reading between the lines, it's hard not to think of this as like the Coens giving themselves a pep talk. Um, mm. Cause like, it really feels like, you know, this is what's important. Like, this is why we make the movies. Um, and it's just like a great pep talk scene. And like, they're both so fucking funny in that scene. Yeah. It's like the way that Clooney like turns on a dime from being this like casual, like 
you know, left wing agitator, and then just like immediately starts sniveling and like runs out. He's a child. Yeah, he's he's like a right, he's like yeah. a kid uh, who who uh, broke the rules in front of his dad. He's <laughs> just like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, Eddie, I had no idea. You know. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> starts that's mumbling like the, at that point. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the other half of why they always cast George Clooney. Like on the one hand, like <laughs> he's Clark Gable, but on the other hand, he can just be like a complete like idiot buffoon. Yeah, it's oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remember on our Inside Lewin Davis episode, Zipper was talking about this idea of Lewin Davis being about what if the Coen brothers split up and what what happens if they lose each other. And now it's right. like being having this be the follow-up where it's like, we need to shake ourselves up and remind ourselves why we've been doing this for decades. Right, right. Yeah, super interesting. It's so funny. So I watched this on Friday. Um, like today's no I watched this on Thursday because today is Saturday um and I think that's when like the first string of this HBO Max shit came out um yeah. and Vice Victus uh our good friend for an episode with tweeted out that very day that night hours I that after I watched Hail Caesar for the first time in my not my entire life posted the scene of him smacking around <laughs> Like, because it, you know, it kind of felt because it's very much like the studio system fighting back and them saying, you're going to do what we want when we want it. You're not going to question us. You're not going to, you know, we've done so much for you. You're going to serve the picture. That is your role. Um, and it was just, again, the actors have no power outside of acting. Right. And it's just like the coincidence of just like, Jesus, like, you know, again, like hours after I watch it for the first time in preparation for this podcast. And it, and it, but it was also like just a very, again, it was very poignant. It was very connected to what were kind of the ramifications or the, not even the ramifications, like the, how the kind of the studio system, it's not really coming back, but it's having, there are things about it that are having yeah. a kind of uh, a, a, a emergence, it feels like. Yeah, and yet it's, I feel like, you know, the studio system in, you know, of that time and in this movie is like so far removed from what the studio system is now. Absolutely. Yeah, like. Because it's not about movies anymore. It's right, not. Exactly. I mean, even, even the studio system back then, at least it was about movies, even though, right. like, even though there were some shady business practices and some like kind of maybe not the most artistic uh, uh, motivation with some shit, at least but it, what, they didn't think of it as content. They didn't think right. of it as points. Right. They thought right. of it, like, that was their business. It's not the right, like there, anymore. like there's no like Louis B. Mayer figure now. Like no, no, it's it's not about. It's about you know it's all about profit margins and also it's about um, right. like data and content the on algorithm. apps. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not about you know it used to just be about did the movie do well? No. All right, let's figure out yeah. you know. And of course, I'm not saying that was the greatest era to ever live or saying that that was the perfect way to make art, but it had at least some purity to the idea that it was just about movies. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, again, Eddie is not a creative character. Like he's not the one making the movies. But at that moment, you see that like he does care about, you know, making these movies good. And, you know, having everyone in service of, you know, making a good movie or a good spectacle or whatever yeah we don't have louis v mayors we just have david zalev yeah <laughs> you guys are pretty interesting though they've actually figured out the laws that dictate everything 
history, sociology, politics, morality, everything. It's all in a book called Capital, with a K. Oh, right. Yeah, you're not gonna believe this. These guys even figured out what's going on here at the studio because the studio is nothing more than an instrument of capitalism. Hmm. Yeah, so we blindly follow these laws like any other institution. The laws that these guys figured out. The studio makes pictures to serve the system. That is its function. That's really what we're up to here. Is it? Yeah, it's just confirming what they call the status quo. I mean, we may tell ourselves that we're creating something of artistic value or there's some sort of spiritual dimension to the picture business, but what it really is is this fat cat. Nick Skank, out in New York, running this factory, uh, serving up these lollipops to the, what they used to call the uh, bread circuses for the, uh, 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 Now you listen to me, Buster. Nick Skank in the studio have been good to you and to everyone else who works here. If I ever hear you bad-mouthing Mr. Skank again, it'll be the last thing you say before I have you tossed in jail for colluding in your own abduction. Eddie, I wouldn't, I would never do that. <laughs> Shut up. You're gonna go out there and you're gonna finish Hail Caesar. You're gonna give that speech to the feet of the penitent thief and you're gonna believe every word you say. <laughs> you're gonna do it because you're an actor and that's what you do. Just like the director does what he does and the writer and the script girl and the guy who claps the slate. You're gonna do it because the picture has worth and you have worth if you serve the picture and you're never gonna forget that again. I won't forget Eddie. Damn right you won't. Not as long as I run this dump. Man. Go out there and be a star. Whenever we go and cover something from 2016, I'm always right. I mean, we don't have to spend much time on the year in 2016, but I'm always reminded of how solid it is. Um, oh, it's fucking great. But yeah. Yeah. But that's Hell Caesar. Excited for us to finish up the Conan Brothers when someone brings us Buster Scruggs and Drew Grit. Oscar Garth, I was going to say, you- Grit, Grit is going to be, I'm so excited for Grit. Yeah. We're going to oh, do yeah. Grit at some point. Yeah. We're going to do, we're, we'll do Grit. No, is yeah, Barry we'll, Pepper we'll, and Grit? Is grit. Barry Pepper and Grit? Um, why do I this think is That would rule. I think this, that we're like the worst people to ask. Granted, we're, we haven't had a rewatch in forever. Um, yeah, Oscar, thank you so much for being here. This is oh, thank you so a much delight for to have me. you. Yeah. Where can everybody find your work and uh, just what you've been working on recently? Yeah, um, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at the Oscar Goff. Um, and you can find my writing on Boston Hassle, uh, where... I have new stuff there pretty much every week, um, as well as our stable of, you know, talented contributing writers, including, I should add, one Jack Draper. Who's that? I don't know. <laughs> <Seems> <laughs> you said guy. talented, though, right? <laughs> like you said talented, right? Yeah, that, that, could oh, okay. be, that could be anybody. Right, that right. could be anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's my turn. I can be found on Twitter, Jack A. Draper. And on Letterboxd, Jack Draper 7. Um, this is available on Netflix for the time being, which, you know, we'll see, <laughs> see how long this lasts. And because, um, which is actually kind of interesting because, like, we don't cover a lot of stuff that's available on Netflix. Like, I feel like it's, it's always like available somewhere else. Interesting enough. I mean, just goes to I show you. I feel like Netflix this has always been limited. on Netflix. Has it? Oh, okay. it yeah. really kind of, I don't know. It feels like it. Yeah. I don't know. No, it could be one of those things that it's like, 
Netflix is always like given a, a, another life like we discussed with something like The Invitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, next time we have Drive with Maria Gates and uh, it just feels like one of those things where it's like, why haven't we done this already? Uh, massive, massive 2010s picture. Has uh, Goss in it. Goss, Goss. Mm, yeah. Uh, love me some Goss. I think everyone likes Goss. Um, yeah. trying to think of other ryan Dawson jokes couldn't think of anymore um everyone follow me you'll have Birds plenty but this is true this is true i want that jacket no i don't no no never mind i don't want it that would be doof you look like a douchebag yeah that's that sorry i, I take that <laughs> everyone back. wanted the jacket in 2011 this i know is- but then that's the point then everyone kind of looked like an asshole yeah. yeah um maybe not a scorpion i think it'd have like a lion mm-hmm. maybe not white too like red that would you know, be cool I'm just thinking about jackets. I don't know. How much does that cost? We'll, we'll figure this out later. Uh, everyone can follow me at Birds of Clay uh, on Twitter and on Letterboxd. Follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clay Williams. Follow the podcast Twitter account at ETT Pod. You could follow, um, or no, that's all the things you can follow. You can send us an email at exiting3000s at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Um, share, with, share us with a friend, retweet, um, you know, text them. I don't care. Fucking tell them. Tell them about it. Go up to them, go to random people on the street, shake them with, you know, like, well, make sure you're vaccinated and you won't have COVID, yeah. test yourself before doing this. And then, like, go up to someone on the street, take their shoulders and just shake them around. Say, so you got to go listen to Exit through 2010s and then run off. Tell everyone about um, us, like, the way that you ask uh, Clay about Bosch legacy takes. This is true. Yeah. You were, like, people showing up yeah. at my house asking, Clay, 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 what do you think about Bosch legacy? <laughs> and I tell them, please, like, I need to live my life. Get yeah. off my lawn. No cameras, no microphones. I, will call the cops. Yeah. Um, I have a dog. Uh, they don't know. I'm allergic to. Fr- I'm allergic to freebie. Please. There, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, a freebie. What a, what a horrible idea that was. Uh, yeah. Not the not the necessary. The everything I know about freebie, I've learned by by force. <laughs> I, well, I've been forcing you. Like freebie. It's just a horrible name. Bad. Okay. Mm. Um, send us an email. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Thank y'all so much for listening. Uh, as always, we'll see you next time on Exiting Through 2010.